Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast. This is an ad-free pod. Thank you so much for streaming those ads. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK, and I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their Bitcoins for over a decade. We make products like the Code Card, the Block Clock, and we have a bunch of other projects. You can find more information on CoinKite.com. This is a list episode. I have the list. A, a ri the list, finally, as you heard, the voice of a shitcoiner there. This is going to be a, a very good one because I will not be to... assaulted by a clockmaker. <laughs> uh, uh, I have uh, two great guests today who are very, uh, one is a core developer and the other one is a core Manager, contributor, uh, maintainer, I don't know. <laughs> Mike, you're going to have to describe yourself in a minute. Sure. And, uh, and I have uh, Justin, uh, who has the, the hottest uh, shitcoin. The best in, looking man in Bitcoin. <laughs> the best looking man. The best mullet in Bitcoin. I'm kidding. His project is very cool. And I am a fan of eCash. Really is uh, uh, solutions. Okay. First, I have Shores. Hello. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'm Shors Provost. I work on Bitcoin Core for the last couple of years. I do a podcast, if I may shill it, called Bitcoin, comma explained. So uh, together with Ion uh, Freedom, we explain things about Bitcoin, technical stuff, no political drama. And I also wrote a book called Bitcoin: A Work in Progress, which takes some of that earlier podcast and turns it into a book. Very nice. I've uh, I've seen your tweets. You you recently uh, been enamored of America and been sort of driving around there for a while. Not sure if you're still doing that, but uh, that was uh, that seemed like you had a little bit of fun. Yeah, that's true. I visited for two weeks, so I also went to some places you went to to the Bitcoin Park. Yeah, that that place is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I just spent a week there uh, drinking and talking Bitcoin. It was uh, I don't know how I survived that. Mike, thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we've been trying to do this for a while. You've joined us on the Optech recaps that we've done before. Um, quick, quick sidebar at Shores. What, what happened to the Shores NATO name? Well, the thing is, a certain somebody said, basically, it's, it's a very cool name. But if you're trying to introduce somebody else to the podcast, you say, hey, you should listen to the Van Weirdem Shores NATO podcast. It's very <laughs> difficult for that person to find it. Uh, even Bitcoin Explained is difficult to find. If you type it in your podcast app, you'll find it. But if you type it in Google, you won't find it. So it's still not the perfect SEO name. Do you know why? It's it's because you guys don't have the news or the price. You know, if you ha if you don't list. have the news or the price or the list, you, you don't you don't get any audience. That's where we're gonna do TA analysis right on the beginning. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the <laughs> the, up, the upside is that if we ever get canceled, uh, I can self-host it very easily because the number of listeners is not so high. Yeah, I think we have one more listening there than you. I think we have like 11 listeners now. No, I think we have more than 11. <laughs> I, I have met some people that randomly approach me and say, hey, I know you from your podcast. <laughs> Very cool. So, Mike, uh, why don't you don't you give us a, a little intro about yourself and Bitcoin Optech? I think a lot of people don't, sure. don't know much about it. Yeah, I, I think we, we do a good job, but we don't do uh, strong on the marketing front, which is maybe common for a lot of the tech folks in this space. So, Mike Schmidt... I have two different roles in the Bitcoin ecosystem. The first one is executive director at Brink, 
And Brink is a 501c3 charity in the U.S. that our mission is solely to support open source development in the Bitcoin ecosystem with a particular focus on Bitcoin core developers and getting them funded. And we've been around two years sponsoring uh, 11 different developers. And a bunch of those are in London in an office working together on Bitcoin core. And then the second part of my work in the Bitcoin ecosystem is a contributor at Bitcoin Optech. So there's a, a few of us that get together. We're most known for our technical newsletter that covers weekly updates in Bitcoin open source work. So Bitcoin Core, the Lightning implementations, and some other projects that we cover, as well as any news from the mailing list. And so if there's anybody who's interested in Bitcoin Review and is a subscriber here, should obviously also subscribe to the Optech newsletter. It's a, it's a good way to stay up to speed without having to go through IRC meetings and mailing list posts and things like that. Um, and we also great. have done workshops in the past. What's that, Shores? It's a great mailing list. I, I was I going to find yeah. things that got merged in Bitcoin Core through the mailing list, not always through the notifications. What I was going to say is that uh, if you have uh, nearly unsubscribed or muted the mailing list uh, due to the RBF uh, discussions and everything else, like I did, Bitcoin Optac is a fantastic way of keeping uh, up to date. They they also review some of the stuff, so they they'll put like pertinent commentary on on the topics and and on things that you would likely miss because Bitcoin Core does get uh, uh, the the fake news rhetoric about like, you know, not much is going on, but it, it is an absolute cluster of amount of stuff that gets worked on. If you've ever done anything on Bitcoin Core, you're going to very much understand what rebase means. Mm-hmm. And, and to that point, in the last month at the end of the year, in December, um, Optech put out our annual um, year in review, which summarizes everything that Optech has covered and that has happened in the ecosystem for that last year. And one of our little statistics that came out of that is, uh, you know, people say nothing's happening in Bitcoin. There's no innovations. There's no interesting discussions going on. And we, we published just our little publication, put out the equivalent of a 200 page book on the <laughs> developments and discussions that are happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So I believe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I know this from my own book. It's like 200 plus pages, but if I had transcribed every episode, it would have been just ginormous. And the episodes cover only a small part of what Bitcoin is working on. So yeah, there's, there's plenty out there. It's just less, there's no marketing department. So, and some of the things sound less cool than sharding and to the chess and NFTs. <laughs> hey, you're not looking for a 5.4% yield on staking Ethereum? No. <laughs> I thought it was up to seven and a half. You just don't. You just don't get your coins, right? I don't know, man. I, yeah, that's right. They're locked forever. I think, and then then we have Justin, which everybody knows because he was he's been here for a lot of pods in the beginning, but then he abandoned us to go work on uh, on Fatty. Justin, do you? Uh, do you yes, wanna, I'm a wanna... co-founder of the podcast. <laughs> I put that on my bio. Nice. Yeah, I had I had better things to do though, you know. So I I, I had to. You know, dip out a little bit. But yeah, I work on, I'm a co founder at uh, Fetty and a contri- contributor of Fetty Mint, which is uh, a federated e cash mint. So it's like a really private way to uh, send and receive Bitcoin that has a little better 
trust assumptions than your average custodial system because it's better. It's a very, very cool project. So uh, quick uh, housekeeping here. Uh, we've released a long article with like very well sort of like simply explained understanding on the code card mark for security model and the secure element it should help sort of clear up a little bit of the FUD and a little bit of misunderstanding on these things. If you're a code card user, I think you should definitely uh, read this document. It's pretty cool. Breeze has a bounty for integration of Sats card and Tap Signer, and um, BDK uh, just also opened an issue about integrating uh, Sats card and Tap Signer. So, so that's just a little bit of housekeeping. On that, also check out the episode that we did on Noster. That was pretty cool, and uh, uh, we hope to have a few more interesting panels coming up. You know what's funny? The episode with the lawyers about estate planning, it was uh, was huge. Uh, I thought uh, a lot of people might not, not be into that, but uh, it seems that a lot of people really understood the call to to get your shit in order. So, uh, so that was fun. Guys, I think with that, <clears throat> why don't we start with the list? Uh, okay, so I'll start. Uh, so Nunchuck introduces uh, the Honey Badger wallet. I, I can't remember. They, I think they updated the software for this one. Essentially, is a collaborative multi-sig uh, solution uh, without the whole sort of you know calling a person like Kazan and Chengdu. It seems to be very very cool. Uh, you can add thresholds to the multi-sig thing, and it's all through the app. And I think they have a they have a desktop uh, client for Macs as well. I've been very impressed with what uh, Ugo has done so far at Nunchuck. Also, it's uh, mostly almost no dependencies. Uh, they've they've written everything in C++. It's a, it's a very, very neat uh, project. It doesn't get a lot of attention because also low marketing. So is this, a, this isn't a new app. It says like it's an addition. Honey Badger Wallet. It's just like a, a price plan or something. Yeah, well, it's it's actually the service, the co-signed yeah, service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need more cosine services so that multi-sig has a chance. Yeah, yeah. Though the next challenge would be to have privacy-enabled uh, cosigning services, uh, so you're not sending your entire balance to some API. Um, yes. Even if it's not KYC, and uh, I don't know if they use Tor or anything like that, but it'd be nice to to have a service that says, "Hey, we'll we'll help you with the inheritance, but if you ever need it, you'll have to go through KYC after you die or something like that." Yes. And also like, you know, if people should uh, listen to the episode that I just did with uh, lawyers about estate planning, uh, you know, just because the the computer says it's yours, it doesn't mean it's yours. So like you you definitely need to look into, you know, putting wheels together and estate planning and all that stuff. Yeah, I know there's uh there's the crypto asset inheritance planning uh, book that Pamela Morgan, I think, put out a few years ago. So I, I don't know years if you guys talked about that. Yeah, yeah. 2018 yeah. maybe. I think also there were some interesting good concepts there, but like a lot of stuff is not like super up to date. I'm not sure if she's sort of being active in this space anymore. At least I haven't heard. Yeah, check out that episode because uh, you know you guys can like get a sense of like a few people who are kind of like let's call it between brackets trusted in the space. Nobody's trusted, but uh, th these are professionals and licensed uh, to to give like proper proper advice on, on this. I just posted a link here uh, to Shore's comment about needed bl blinding co multi-sig co-signing services. This was an idea our good friend Michael Flaxman had a couple of years ago. I figured yes. exactly how it works. It was like using uh, like a large random 
uh, bit 32 path or something to blind yes. it. So like they would have the key, but they wouldn't be able to know where you'd have to tell them the path before they ever signed or something like that. Yeah. So, but it's essentially money gone. If you can't if you, so get you have, them it's the another path. Point of failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's another point of failure. So, but that's the only, that's like the only thing I remember seeing of somebody trying to research into how to do this a little better, but yeah, it is, it is sort of alarming, you know, to use one of these services and they just see everything you do. It's, it's not, not ideal. I'm guessing Nunchuck uses Electrum, right? So that uh, it's I, not I bl- them that know what you're doing. Because usually the problem is when you use a wallet software that's easy to use, it's either going to be using the server of the company that you're using or some public blockchain explorer, blockstream.info, whatever API, or Electrum. And all of these have pretty bad privacy trade-offs, but all have slightly different privacy trade-offs. Ideally, you want to run it against your, full, your own node. Yeah, I, you can't run your own node yet, but uh, you know I think that you know if people give this feedback to to them, they they'll find a way of adding it. So far, every single request I had, <laughs> they they did uh, integrate. Like for example, you you did you, you used to need a, an email to create an account. The thing they changed it so now you can just use an XPub, so you can just have your seed that is in the app be the way to log in into the system. Uh, and they do have uh, private comms between the, the multi-sig co-signers using a uh, matrix. They, they're trying, they're, they're actually trying to, to fully understand the problem and address it, which is kind of cool. I, I haven't seen people like actually put that kind of effort into uh, a commercial solution, right? That sort of tries to solve these problems. So, yeah. And it's nice that there's some uh, competition, I guess, in this space. I think yes. you guys talked about Liana last week or the week before. There's, I think, Un- Unchained has an offering, and I'm not sure if Casa has an inheritance-specific implementation. But you have they to think do. that that they're working in in the right direction based on on feedback around this. Another nice thing too is they're all doing different things. So, like you know, Nunchuck is trying to do this thing where it's KYC free and it's uh, just a cosign robot, right? Uh, and they offer you sort of like some education. Casa is trying to do the the seedless thing with key rotation and all that stuff, with like more like a closed source kind of approach. And then Unchain has Caravan, uh, which is still needs to understand PSPT correctly, but uh, it, it's a very good uh, solution. And and like. And and I think that they did enough auditing there that like it sort of like is on par with something like uh, Glacier Protocol and things like that, in terms of like proper proper thought through. Yeah, it's cool. I, we just need another ten solutions that are also different, uh, and then uh, and then we need another ten x numbering in Bitcoiners. Well, one good start is to have a separation between the software and the services companies, right? Because you could you could have a very good software for the purpose of inheritance, but you could have a different company that actually holds onto your keys and uses that software. And I think right now it's usually the same. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just a matter of having lots of different tools and seeing which ones are the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, the, the market is starting to finally understand that it's like not a single solution for everybody. You can't just yell at people on Twitter saying, hey, use this. This is the only solution that exists. Uh, you know, different people, different needs. People have multiple wallets as well. And, you know, the market is growing up. It's, it's sort of nice to see it. Talking about wallets, Electrum 4.3.3. Uh, Lightning, uh, they fix handling failed H- uh, HTLCs in gossip-based routing, fix LN 
cooperative chain closed to witness. Uh, PSPT is never put uh, YPUB and ZPUB in PSPT is only playing XPUBs. That's nice. Uh, for witness, uh, V0 TXINs uh, put both UTXO and uh, with UTXO in PSPT. Uh, hardware wallets, uh, Trezor optimized signing speed by not serializing transactions. Ledger, modify plugin to support new uh, Bitcoin app uh, v2.1.0. Added the deprecation warning when using Ledger HW1 devices. Binaries, uh, Titan build system uh, for only use source packaging more places. Sounds like a sane list. Yeah, it's it's a good list. It's uh and all like let's fix some stuff and make it better list. Who who wants to comment on the PSPTs? Well, I mean the, the idea of WIPOP and ZPOP I think was invented by Electrum mm-hmm. as a way to indicate the the intention of the XPUB. So you would have an XPUB which is just an extended private key. And then, well, the question is, are you using this to do a SegWit address or are you using this to do a legacy address, et cetera? And they, they basically use the idea of a ZPUP or a, a YPUP, which just adds a number, I it's think. It's a somewhere. version number. Yes. Yeah, to, to indicate what your plan is. But that's completely unnecessary with a PSVT because the PSVT tells you uh, what is supposed to happen. And it's also, I think, the, descript, the descriptor language is a more elegant way to do this. Yes. So it's probably good that they... They don't put them. They don't put these things into PSVTs because other software may or may not know what to do with it. Yeah, it's uh, so for people that don't know, Electrum is essentially the second <laughs> wallet that came into the market after Bitcoin Core, and Bitcoin Core was unusable back then for like you know proper money handling for anything complex. It was not just a simple wallet, and this is pre HD as well. You know, one could argue that, you know, aside from very advanced people, Bitcoin Core is still a little difficult to use. Uh, it is getting better. But anyway, so Electrum carries a lot of baggage. So every time that a new thing comes on, they have to sort of like backwardsly think on how to address the new thing without, um, you know, breaking things. And, you know, some people get upset. Anyways, it's a difficult job. Uh, and they don't have the amount of contributors that Core does. So anyway, so so uh, PSPTs were a massive improvement, and, uh, and it's nice we, to see that they've acknowledged that yes. maybe the path that they originally went down, you know, is not, is no longer the right one. Because I think sometimes folks get dug in with their particular way of doing things, like not supporting BIP thirty nine. No <laughs> so Electrum still doesn't <laughs> support BIP thirty nine uh, native. You have to check the box. Neither does Bitcoin Core. Right, uh, it's one of those things that. I think are, are a bit annoying, but I think the amount of stuff, dependencies that you need to add to Bitcoin Core to get Bit39 to work is, is non-zero. It's also not huge. Yeah, but I think it's time. I think it's time. Maybe, maybe sure. Like if you, you know, you, you, you're a guy who doesn't do much, you, you probably have a lot of free time. I so think I maybe have, you want to take on that one. I have commented on the GitHub <laughs> issue that talks about that, trying to slightly open that can of worms. And it's time. I have complicated comments on it that I haven't studied yet. I think it's time, especially because, you know, the install base for Bitcoin BIP39 is like huge. It's the biggest install base that there is for, for, for private keys, right? Yeah, the least controversial thing would be to just be able to import them. That's what I was going to say, at least so that people can recover. Because see, a lot of times, you know, maybe your, your setup broke or whatever it is, or in a pinch, 
uh, and you don't, or you don't trust your software and Bitcoin Core is like one of the most trusted pieces of software that there is and you want to recover or to sweep it or whatever, I think importing it would be a huge, huge uh, upgrade to, uh, to people's security, especially because you can have Core on Tails. If you write that code, I'll, I'm happy to test it. I just want to set your expectations that you'll probably get a knack from Luke Dasher immediately and a yes. few other objections, but maybe Self-custody not. Self-custody expert Luke Dasher. I mean, you can always, you know, it's always Ooh, useful boom. for people who want to be able to import it to just rebase the pull request if you want to keep rebasing it. I am not. Uh, th- there is a reason why I, you know, I go onto commercial side. I hardly ever comment on the mailing list. I hardly ever like. It's like I, I am not academic enough. I have a very short fuse. It, it, <laughs> you know that that conversation will divulge. I'm uh, exactly the same way. I gotta like, stay away it, from these things. It's really like I mean, and, and dude, like. I've been in Bitcoin for, for a while and like for, for like as long as I could, I never sent an email to the mailing list. I, I love everybody there. Just, I'm just incompatible with that sort of academic uh, style of, of development, which is very necessary. But uh, yeah, maybe I'll put a bounty out there. So Titan uh, builds systems to only source packages in more places. I, I think Electrum like also due to the age and uh, Macaroni that's in there has a, a bigger challenge with uh, with like dependencies and things. So and also it's a function of like Python two, right? So, Is it still uh, Python two? N- well, no, sorry, no. Python two as in and T O O. Oh, also T O O. Yeah. Okay. Source packages okay. do they just mean that they're not pulling in binaries, but they're pulling in source and then compiling yes. it themselves? Exactly. Right? That's a lot safer. Yeah. It's a hard problem. There, there were attacks on uh, Node.js, yes. the NPM ecosystem, where the actual exploit was not in the JavaScript source code, but it was in the compiled, well, minified, which is semi-compiled. Uh, yeah. And I mean, and nobody should be using JavaScript for Bitcoin operations anyways, because JavaScript's garbage. But uh, you can't even do math on JavaScript. <laughs> well, that, that, good luck for anyone trying to do something in the browser. But it's just JavaScript. Oh, and nowadays, I guess you can use LLVM. But if you want to render anything, you still need to Yeah, use Rust. Compile it to Wasm. Come on. Grow up. There you there go. go. And yeah, then, I know. I, I, how do you draw yeah, your interface? Flash? <laughs> At least Flash was like uh, contained. Uh, was it ActionScript? Was Flash contained? I thought there was all sorts of like uh, arbitrary code execution. Well, there is, because Adobe was delivering the binary. <laughs> but, but at least it was contained in a binary. <laughs> Anyways, I totally get the new kids all love JavaScript and JavaScript is cool and it's fantastic for you to deliver something fast, especially with the UI. It's all sort of integrated, but uh, you have to do a lot of work to get JavaScript to be safer, like on your uh, program. So like you want to start from like stacks that are normally like safer to begin with, and then you sort of even close it down and down more. I know, you know, JavaScript is the best thing that there is for you to develop, deliver apps in like multiple platforms. But, uh, you know, maybe move to Rust and be even a cooler kid. <laughs> Decrease your productivity by 75%. You know, that's join, right. Join Rust. Now, that's the great thing about JavaScript is you're very productive. You can actually ship a service or product very quickly. But yeah, you just got to, you know, you probably don't want to do private key operations using it or anything that involves math. Because it deserializes, serializes, deserializes, deserializes. Like you yeah, keep on throwing, you, you keep on, no, but like all these packages, like touching the private key material, like it's, it's kind of like sketch. It's bad. TypeScript does not solve this. 
No. No. No, it's especially the, the cascade of dependencies that makes it scary. And in browsers, there are some some mitigations you can take, but it's not it's not amazing. Like they ha- you have iframes, which restrict you know the JavaScript inside an iframe cannot reach out of it in theory. But then it comes out that all those defenses are always broken all the time, right? Like it's like every browser vendor will like release a emergency update because the JavaScript wasn't contained, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, JavaScript essentially on a browser is essentially um, doing a curl for a bash script, you know what I mean, from a website. I mean, it is kind of crazy when you think about it. A browser is like remote execution, remote yes. code execution as a service. It's, it's amazing that it works at all, you know? Uh, yeah, sometimes it works a little too well. And money gone. All right, guys. Uh, HWI 2.2.0. Yay. Taproot, key path, display, and spending with a Bitbox 2, Ledger, Bitcoin app, 2.1.0 support, allow transfer passphrase enabled to work without passphrase specified, uh, defaults to uh, empty string passphrase, accept expert and chain arguments for enumerate, and several GUI layout improvements. So there was a major issue with Ledger because they changed the way that they do everything. And it broke a bunch of implementation. They overhauled their app. Yes. Uh, and now I think they stream their apps back and forth. So even less. Because they can't fit in memory, right? In the device. So like, they, there was a brilliant way on how they stream back and forth the application itself. That's my understanding too. That you get the PSBT and then the uh, ledger will like ask for new details. It will basically ask the device yeah. or ask the outside thing for more stuff specifically. Yeah. So it's a pretty complicated dance. Yeah, uh, which is not great for security because it's more complex, but those guys are pros. I guess like it's just like now it's literally hopeless to be our gapped. <laughs> like he actually uses the computer to do like a lot of the work as well. I don't know if it's hopeless to be air gap. My guess is if you were to put an SD card, if you could put an SD card into the ledger, oh, yeah. then it would just do the IO in phases, right? It would just read the part of the PSPT from the disk that it needs, it would just have to have some sort of index of where things are. So I, I'm not be, sure. because be interactive I, with the external device. I think they're using their local library, the, the, the desktop library, to do some, some of the heavy lifting. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll get Charles to come on the pod and answer questions. Yeah, that sounds good. Be curious to see how it works. Uh, what else? Uh, the, the, the treasure passphrase thing is important because before essentially you were kind of telling that you have a passphrase. <laughs> now it defaults to empty. So at least like attackers don't know that you have a passphrase. So, so that's great. The GUI improvements, that would be up your alley, Shores. Not really, because the, there is a GUI that comes with HWI itself, which I don't use. I use Bitcoin mm. Core to call HWI and I let Bitcoin Core do the GUI stuff. I never used the GUI. I don't think I ever noticed the GUI. So Andrew Chow, thanks for maintaining the cluster of USB dependencies and everything else. It's very nice to have this minimum set of stuff that you need in order to use Bitcoin Core with hardware wallets. It's not super easy, especially with multi-sig. HWI is not going to be enough yeah. to do that in an easy way. But it's nice to not have to install all of the vendor software. software. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and uh, you know, first we, we proposed Tapsider to be added to uh, HWI, but uh, he actually had good reasoning why not. Most people are not going to use HWI. There's a pull request still open to add yeah. Tapsider support, and the idea would be to 
have the user install the dependencies themselves. So all the NFC dependencies that the user would have to do that manually because we don't want to pull that in everywhere. Yep. But that's just a matter of like, I don't know, pip install, blah, and then and then you can use HDI. But I haven't gotten around to testing it. And when I did, I bought this really cool NFC card reader and I commented and then you were like, no, it's the wrong one. You got to get this other one. And then it turns out there are two Linux frameworks for dealing with NFC that are okay. compatible. And so... <laughs> Quick shout out to Andy Chow, who's who's driving not only the HWI, but all the Bitcoin Core wallet work. I know there's a team just chugging away on both of these, but it's yep. good to see continuous improvements here. And I think he's a big part of that. And for people that don't know, uh, HWI is just Chow. And <laughs> he tests and builds like and maintains and reviews and audit like every hardware wallet integration. It's... Uh, it's it's a hard job. Okay, so we have uh, Evan jump in. Evan, uh, we had a, a mismatch with links for the for the the show because we had a problem with the first one. Anyways, it's uh, it's not that late, so it's fantastic that he joined us. Hey, hey, how's it going, everyone? Good man. Uh, Evan, do you want to tell uh, people uh, a, a little bit about yourself so so people know uh, what you do? Yeah, sure thing. I'm Evan. Uh, I work a lot on Lightning stuff. We're Lightning apps mostly. You guys might know me for uh, the Zeus Lightning app. It lets you connect to your node uh, either at home or in the cloud remotely. And it's for mobile. It's a cross-platform, Android and iOS. Yeah, I think uh, we've got a, one of our releases we're going to talk about a little bit later too. So excited to get oh, into that. Oh, it's a great uh, uh, wallet for Lightning. I've been using it. You're using Lightning, Rodolfo? Oh, you don't, haven't Since you heard when? my episode about Lightning? I'm Since like, when? I'm a Lightning bull now. Wow. It works. Wow. Yeah, he's getting Lightning pilled. So uh, one step at a time, but we're eventually going to get that Lightning checkout on the CoinKite store, I think. Right, Rodolfo? Yeah, that, that, that's going to come. That's going to come. First, we need to do SegWit, and then we can do that. But, but it's coming. Oh, boy, we're behind a little bit. Yeah. I think it's episode 15, maybe? Uh, I brought a bunch of uh, uh, Lightning Wallet devs, uh, and uh, we hashed it out. Uh, yeah, I'm a Lightning bull now. Wow. Yeah, I know. Boomers can run learn new tricks. Yeah. So Mercury Wallet, uh, 0 0.8.6, uh, create and recover wallet with Tor and I2P, network adapter, automatic restart. Small update, but uh, I, I wanted to list, uh, anybody wants to talk about Mercury Wallet, they, they're trying some, some different stuff. I haven't used it myself, but so Mercury Wallet is the client for, uh, it's a GUI for Mercury, which is essentially an implementation of state chains, which I think was Ruben Sampson's original idea. And so you sort of I guess if you want to think of it like a sort of like a side chain where you lock up your coins and you're able to get uh, some additional features on the, the Mercury state chain. And then Mercury Wallet is a is a UI for that. I'm not sure. Have any of you used Mercury before? Uh, not yet. No, I haven't. I've seen demos and it looks really slick. Yeah, I, I used it a bit last year and I had some great experience with the swaps. Haven't tried the new versions, haven't really used it in quite a few months, but uh was uh was pleased with my experience with it. What's their main goal? The the basic idea is, I'm trying to remember is that you 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 almost like if you trust the people that are running Mercury's server, you basically can trade a private key with somebody else, 
more or oh, less. I love that. It's like open diamond at cloud. Yeah, yeah. You have a UTXO. Exactly. Like if I have UTXO A and Rodolfo has UTXO B, we can switch who has which one, assuming you trust the entity behind Mercury Wallet. Um, so that's really neat. Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely a great privacy tool. Something probably you'd want to do post mix still for like a coin after a coin join, right? So whoever you're giving your UTXO to doesn't get a complete view of those coins' history. Very uh, nice. But still, still a really uh, cool tool to have in the arsenal. Shameless plug for episode eight of Bitcoin Explained about state chains with Ruben Sampson. <laughs> that was a good one, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so like one thing that I'm loving about the fact that like one is a bear market, it's always great. And two, like people are kind of bored with Bitcoin itself, right? A little bit because, you know, it's, I mean, one could argue that's like version complete. I know it's not true because people want more stuff and there's bugs to fix, but like just from a high level, kind of like you could say, oh, Bitcoin is done. Right. So people are actually trying different stuff now. Like they're putting effort into like you know, getting all these sort of ideas that people had years ago, but everybody was busy fighting over block size or other problems. And, and they're actually trying to build solutions like, you know, like Lina Wallet, which is trying to do the Revolt thing. And, and then you have now Mercury Wallet trying to do the state chain thing. It's just, it's just pretty cool. All without trying to change the Bitcoin consensus code. Thank you very much. <laughs> Try whatever you want without permission. Just don't change Bitcoin, please. Yeah, it's amazing how many things you can do on top of Bitcoin. You know, like, uh, you know, it's it's really cool. What, it's amazing what people come up with. Like, I remember when I first heard the state chain paper, I'm like, oh, that's clever. And now we actually have like a polished UI for it, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Bitcoin is already like the most defended with computation truth sort of source in the planet. Like, I mean, there's nothing that gets even close to Bitcoin in terms of like, you know, really secured truth. So like, can you just like find a way to stick your little anchor there somehow and come up with some very clever cryptography? <laughs> That's all the cool shit you want to do. <laughs> but hopefully do the anchors in a way that you're not putting in several anchors per per block like uh, Jeff Jeff I mean, Garzik I don't care. Company we're doing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I don't believe there is uh, unfair or wrong use of the chain as a market. Uh, if you start sticking sure. a lot of stuff in there, then it's just going to cost more. And then the miners make money. Well, that's true as long as you use Opperturn. Yes. If the, uh, one of the things that is not bounded by any kind of real fee structure is the UTXO set. Because yep. you're paying once to put something on the chain, but you're not paying some paying to keep something on the chain. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been guilty of doing a thousand UTXO transactions, so uh, <laughs> that's fine. If, if you pay for them, it's all fine. Rodolfo, what were you doing with that? Oh, it was just testing. We were testing like uh, this is pre way back when we were doing UTXO management for for uh, large entities and stuff. We we're always trying to see if we could break it, like to find the actual limit, because these limits are kind of like there, but they aren't right. So like you just never know what really is going to break on the edge cases of limits, like, you know, 12 out of 12 multisig, right? Can you really fit in there? Because you, the, you have the transaction size problem, but also like maybe you're going to break some most clients and things like that. Well, until 2015, until 2015, you can test things on mainnet. It was easier yep. to test on testnet because mainnet was just easier to use and the fees were super low. So you yep. just sent like $2 to some test address and then $2 to some other test address. Yep. You know, real men don't use testnet. 
admin UI, a web UI for managing LNBit's core settings, new funding source, lightning tip bot via ln.tips, extensions, new cashew, Chamonix Cash and Web Wallet, extension use, web sockets. Maybe uh, Evan can give us a little primer and maybe make some comments on LNBits. So LNBits is a really cool tool, I would say. Uh, you know, it's mainly an interface for receiving uh, payments via Lightning. So it's got a web server in there, but there's like so many different extensions to it to serve so many different cases. So um, I believe there's plugins for like, uh, you know, e-commerce, for doing jukeboxes, uh, streaming Spotify stuff. But yeah, I've had a great experience uh, playing with it, connecting the wallets you generate there into Zeus. Uh, we have full compatibility there. And uh, yeah, Ellen Bits is just such a great project that's always has a ton of activity on it. They're always shipping new um, new features and always just trying to target like very niche uh, use cases to just help build out the whole Lightning Commerce ecosystem. So great tool if you got a server to run it on. Highly recommend it. If not, there's a couple of uh, hosted servers that you can check out. Spin up a really quick uh, custodial Lightning wallet and start playing around with all the widgets it offers very very cool uh, i've been meaning to try it i just uh, haven't had a chance and I, i wish there was a one button spin sort of like like they host it they host everything mm -hmm. kind of like a, you know like a, your your sort of like shitty digital ocean or whatever like you press a button um spin it up you know put some sats there you don't care if you lose it because like lightning requires like a lot of crap right like You need the node, you need this, you need that, you need to manage it. <laughs> it you know, I, I think because LNB. People like this then because yeah. you just, they, have, they have a server spun up. So if you go to legend.lnbits.com, all you have to do is provide it with a wallet name to identify with, and you pretty much have like a Lightning wallet to spend with. Yeah, but, but that one is shared with everybody else, right? Mm, oh, so you, so you want to be able to spin it up like a script to spin up to your yeah, GPS? Yeah, I want to give them money. You know, like for hosting kind of thing. And then I okay. press a button and then it spins up a new one with uh, with like a VPS or something that they, like their VPS. So you want like what Luna Node was doing for BTC pay servers, but for LMB. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Go ahead, Shores. Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, BTC pay server also does this, but you can make templates for uh, Amazon EC2 or for Azure, which basically like one click and then Microsoft says, hey, pay us like five bucks a month. Now you have a server and it configures the server and spins it up. And then you just enter some config variables like your domain name and you have right. a running thing. Those those are two uh, VPS providers that I refuse to make an account on. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon and Microsoft. <laughs> Pick another one. You want it to be able to test something quickly. Now you also yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So I want them to manage the relationship <laughs> with Amazon or with uh, Microsoft. Yeah, has a lot of requirements for his setups. I do. <laughs> Very. So yeah, con congrats on this one. Uh, you guys are doing some awesome But stuff. Think about it. If, if you meet the requirements of NVKs, like the Tim Ferriss of, of Bitcoin software, right? So <laughs> you, you better put in some, some effort to be able to pitch to him. And this might be what, what it takes. I mean, listen, you know, like I'm trying to use Lightning like a normie because that's that's who's this stuff is for, right? So, and, and I purposefully, I'm not running a Lightning node, 
right? Like I'm trying to use it like everybody else going to use Lightning. So like, you know, I am a perfect sort of like boomer that does web stuff that needs a little quick shop or needs to receive sats in a podcast, you know, things like that. I'm trying to really sort of like wrap my head around Lightning Dowie to understand when Lightning is truly ready for mass market. So I do have a question about receiving sats for a podcast. because Sure. Um, you can, I know you can do it by running your own node because that's what I do. But is there an easy way to do it if you're not running your own node? Yes. Because that's a good segue. Do you use lightning addresses? Yes. Or, because I, I not according to the podcasting 2.0 standard, but maybe you can now. Yeah, so so you can you can use Albi, which we're gonna review which we're gonna go through, and you can also use a fountain, which is the next one here on the update. But Fountain would be specifically Fountain, like people who are playing on Fountain app, not no, no, not no, interoperable, or is it? Because you know the, all the Lightning boostergrams and all that stuff is actually Lightning, right? Like it's going yeah. through the Lightning network. It doesn't matter like where to use it. Any anything that is like following your public Lightning payments for that pod or whatever is going to essentially be able to see the boostergrams and the splits and everything else. The only thing is like. If you're using Fountain or Albi, essentially you're using their node to receive the payments. Right? They're the bank now. But they identify using a Lightning address, right? Yes. It's not the same as a node. Because I think if, if you have a random podcast app that supports Podcasting 2.0 and it looks at these RSS fields for where to send it, I don't think you're allowed to put a Lightning address there. I, I no, so there is thing going on currently is that Fountain will provide their node pub key yes. and then using the other metadata on the payment, they uh, divvy it up to the creators. I think uh, Albi does the same. So I guess what I would need to do then is is in my own podcast feed, like add the other person's node ID, you know, add the fountain. No, oh, so if you want to add it, it's very easy. The hack, there is a hack for this. You add whichever service you want to have visibility to your transactions as a split, like add them as 1% split or something. And then they're going to have visibility to those transactions, even though they're, they're neither the bank nor the sender. But that's for visibility, but for receiving the sats, I mean. Oh, then, so then you, you have to use a host that doesn't have a node. Yeah, then what you'd be doing is you set, essentially you give ownership of that pod RSS feed public key injection to Fountain or to Albi. There is this awesome tool by uh, the guys who created Podcast Index, which it's a podcast wallet, podcaster wallet.com. Yeah, I've, I've played with that. But it doesn't let you add a lightning address. It just strips out the at sign yes, and the dot sign. That's right. Yeah. So, but you you can give it a node, then I guess you give it Fountain's no. node. You, no, you can give Fountain's address, not the node. So I would put in Fountain's pub key, but then how does it know which user to send it to? Well, Fountain is gonna do the. It's gonna receive for you. It's in Fountain's wallet that has your name. It's an IOU on Fountain. Okay. I need to read some documentation, I guess. Or there is no documentation. It, there is no documentation. It's just confusing as hack. But it's essentially like Fountain is going to be receiving it in your name, right? Uh, because it's their node. Or Albi. How do they know where to send it? Wait, wait, but they're not sending. They're just receiving. Because I put in, say, 50% blah, blah, blah at fountain.fm. That's what I put in the RSS feed. Yeah. So they, they essentially they generate a key, right, for you. Okay, so they'll give you 
an actual public key. Yes, uh, it's a Shores key in their node. Okay, so that's somewhere in your user account, then I guess you can find that. Yes, you have to go to the web version of it. So on the web version of it, uh, you can go to your profile, which I think is, for example, uh, fountain slash NVK or something like that. Then if you go on the profile, there's like a little copy thing for copying your key. Cool, I'll go try that. Yeah, it's uh, I've been like messing around with this stuff. So I switched from fountain to Albi to test out. And Albi, you can also log in into this thing called Saturn. <laughs> I love the names. And on Saturn, what's the URL for this? Saturn.fly.dev. If you log in there with your Albi, if you are using Albi as your node for your podcast, then they give you this very cool statistics about the pod and the boostagram is the same place and all that stuff. So yeah, so Fountain 0.6, uh, new activity feed on discovery page, integration with uh, MoonPay, allows you to fund your Fountain wallet with your debit cards and UI upgrades. So uh, Fountain switched their sort of like lightning provider, essentially, to MoonPay, uh, and they've upgraded all their UI and stuff. It gave them some feedback on the UI. Uh, it's very cool. It's a nice little place where people are posting comments and things. And I think this is this is doing a great job at disseminating pod 2.0. Mike, are you guys uh, going to add uh, point two point, pod 2.0 to Optech? We need pod 1.0 first. But. No, I mean, you can release the release the spaces as a, as a podcast. Yeah. Just, like, just upload to Anchor or whatever. I know people don't like Anchor, but it's easy. Just upload it there and that's it. Yeah, that, uh, that's in progress right now. Uh, but then we'll overlay all the interesting. Because you cannot add a custom RSS field. I know. Anchor settings. So that's why you have to use a podcaster wallet to, to do the injection there. Yeah. That, that is like the most basic possible feature you can imagine. So this is Spotify. They paid like $100 million for this thing. And they yeah. don't have a way to add a custom RSS field. It's probably on purpose. Uh, you know, I imagine it's to corner the market somehow. They don't want people to do something. But I must say, like, I mean, of all the podcasting hosting solutions, I mean, Anchor does the best job aside from having the least amount of features. They they are like really good at that until you get canceled, of course. <laughs> but then you can just migrate, right? Like the stuff is not the end of the world to migrate. Um, you think the Optech uh, recap sessions on the newsletter are going to get censored by Spotify? I think so. You know, it's it's uh, unless you change it to optech.cash. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I think you guys might just make it. We we do have uh, quite a bit of folks who are listening to the Twitter spaces that we do after the fact. So we, we may have like 50 or so in the, the live one. But, we you know, like I think we had Jeremy Rubin on. I think we had a thousand um, listens with, within a week, which is pretty cool for a niche publication. It's very high signal. And there is very few places you're going to find like core PRs and matters like properly reviewed. And very few people can understand half the stuff the core does anyways. So like it's nice to have people that can translate that to like people who don't sort of like really follow core. Zebedee revamped. It's such a great name and weird spelling. Zebedee revamp in a nutshell. Uh, new updates to Zebedee app, Amplify Reward Gaming. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff that's unrelated to Bitcoin. But what's cool about Zebedee is that they do have a very good Lightning wallet. 
they employ FIATCHEF, which is a, a huge proponent of LNURL. Uh, and these guys do a lot of work on the more sort of like uh, non-corporate lightning development solutions. <laughs> is their wallet uh, something that you can use independent? I know they're sort of gaming focused specialization, yeah. but you could, you could just fire that up and just use that as a normal lightning wallet, huh? That's right. If you can put up with a very cool teenager-like UI that is for gamers and stuff, it's a, it, is a, it is a good wallet. Cool. And, and I, I like supporting companies that are not necessarily like core Bitcoin, but support Bitcoin as main thing in their extra payments part, because that shows to their competitors that their competitors need to adopt Bitcoin. It's sort of like a Trojan horse there. BDK 0.26.0 improves Fulcrum Electrum server compatibility and fixes public descriptor template key origin path. Small enhancements to configure the Electrum client and validate the domain using SSL uh, and sort uh, trans transaction details by block height and timestamp. BDK is pretty awesome. I did meet Steve Meyer finally in person uh, last week in Nashville. They have a good presence at the Bitcoin Park. And uh, they're trying cool stuff. Uh, they just took two uh, suggestions I gave and they made issues, which is kind of nice. Uh, one is adding top signer. Uh, and the other one I already forgot because uh, we were doing a lot of stuff there. So now I want to see it. Oh, yes. Uh, BSMS. Uh, so the other one was to add uh, BSMS, which is uh, BIP129, so that you can have a good way of creating multi-sig quorums. It's a little bit more secure and a little bit more detailed for the wallets. I hope BDK sort of like gets more use instead of people building shit to JavaScript. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It, it, the adoption is really important, especially with the innovations going on in Bitcoin you know, you, you see things roll out slowly over the years, and that's because everybody has sort of hand-coded their own certain features and, and, and pieces, whereas if you have something like BDK and it gets a little bit wider adoption, then, you know, when the next set of changes come out, anybody who's using that library can immediately be up to speed on whether it's a scaling or soft fork implementation or, or whatever without having to, to roll their own with all the time delays and, and bugs associated with it. Yeah, it's the thing about like general sort of like software that deals with cryptography. Like we, we have these best practices that most industries do, which is you, you don't roll your own crypto library. You share a crypto library within the whole industry so, so that, you know, like essentially you have all the competitors putting eyes in that crypto library, right? I think most app devs are going to have a hard time building the wallet the hard part of the wallet uh, without creating money, losing bugs and, you know, not having enough resources to sort of like do that well. And uh, BDK is a good sort of like middle ground there, right? Where they're doing a lot of the wallet logic stuff. So you don't lose people's money, but you can build your awesome UI, your business logic and everything else that you're good at without having to hire like somebody who's like a, a pro Bitcoin wallet maker, which is, there's nobody available for <laughs> for hire on, on that specific skill. So you don't get your JavaScript team to go and build a wallet, which is a terrible <laughs> idea. I think this is super cool. Uh, and on the Lightning side, there's LDK, which is similar, 
before Lightning. And obviously it's battle tested since Cash App, I believe, uses both BDK and LDK. And obviously right. they're doing a lot of volume. I mean, you're leveraging economies of scale, right? And and like big entities that have a lot of money to do a lot of cold review and audits. These guys are not going to put a wallet in their system without a proper audit, right? I mean, let's hope not. So it's a cool project. Uh, thanks, Steve Mayer, for working on this and all the other folks that also work on it. Yeah, they're, they're doing a big migration currently. Uh, this thing, BDK Core, they're trying to... Yes. Basically, it's, it's becoming kind of a monolith, you know, and... Uh, like for example, one I, I've been following. I created an issue in BDK like two years ago about uh, about uh, getting it to run on hardware wallets because that would be the coolest way. That would be a really great way for the core. Uh, like Rust is well suited for uh, someday being the core of a hardware wallet, like the Bitcoin logic. But you know, like I did some work trying to get Rust Bitcoin to work on hardware wallets, and now that mostly works because BDK has a dependency on Rust Bitcoin and Rust Miniscript. Uh, and so now they're they're trying to get you know BDK itself to run on a hardware wallet, and they still can't because they need to kind of pare it down a lot to have like a minimal subset that could work. And that's one of the things this BDK core thing will help with. But I think it will also make it. Uh, I forget. There's a lot of other benefits, right? Like if you want to build like uh, certain types of coin join wallets or you know these fancy swap wallets, right? Like uh, they they need to pare it down a lot so that there there don't aren't any assumptions between the different parts of the system. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one comes together because i think that will open up a lot more use cases uh, lloyd fournier if you know him is like the main person doing this because he's always got these crazy ass uh ideas and then he uses bdk to sort of prototype that so he has like this gun.fun wallet that does all these weird weird things and that's kind of how he, he drives forward uh, ideas to improve bdk it's interesting to watch yeah think about it like it's kind of like hwi in a way too right like you have this package that's maintained by people who truly understand a very hard problem and then you use that to integrate those functions into your wallet right uh i think it's a it's a good approach evan do you do you have you looked into using ldk or bdk because I, I know you have like a proper integration of uh, of lightning in your wallet uh yes yeah, so uh definitely been messing around with a bunch of the ldk stuff uh over the years and yeah who knows uh right now zeus is just like a remote only wallet but uh you know potentially we could be putting in something like an ldk in the back end so the user can have uh you know an all-in-one lightning wallet in an app without having to have a node to remotely connect to very cool so Stacker News, uh, they have a, a list here. I'm going to try to be brief on this. Donate rewards, okay, turbo tipping. Okay, so it's, it's like a, a bunch of like soft things. But uh, Stacker News is cool. They're trying to do a Hacker News with essentially like a paying instead of liking, right? So the upvotes cost sats. Uh, I think it's a great way of reducing noise. It's fun to see people trying this stuff. They are great a candidate to, uh, to use Cashew. Uh, which I covered on the on another episode. We talked about that. I think it was the episode with uh, with uh, Kali, which I call Kale because I'm terrible at uh, saying people's names. And uh, I, if you if you're interested in that stuff, I, I highly recommend. Which brings us to Cashew. Uh, not to be confused with a chew. <laughs> That's a dead joke there. But um, ching. <laughs> we need some roll drums. So Cashew, 0.7.0 with uh, multi-mint plus Nostr support. Send sats to any Nostr pub key. Send with Cashew, send dash Nostr. 
and then the pub key and receive a cashier. It's still a command line tool. I think uh, Ellen Bits just added some UI stuff for cashew. It's kind of cool. Uh, I am a fan of this project. For people that don't understand, this is essentially eCash, but it's multi-mint. So like anyone can spin a mint. Uh, it's not a federated thing like Fatty. Maybe actually, why don't, since we have you here, Justin, do you want to explain the difference between the two and sort of like the different trade-offs? Yeah, I'll explain the similarities first. Uh, so they both use eCash, which is kind of like the first idea for digital cash from the 80s uh, that was sort of abandoned. And uh, the idea is that, you know, you deposit some kind of an asset into uh, a mint, uh, is the word they use, and then uh, the mint gives you uh, an IOU. And the neat thing about eCash is that the IOU is blinded. So like when the mint issues an IOU and when uh, the, the holder of that IOU comes to redeem it, the mint can't tell which issuance it came from. So your anonymity set is everyone else who has an IOU. And, you know, that the, so that's the amazing benefit is you can have this like really, really good privacy. And, you know, the thing that enables that is you have like a, this IOU, the spare token that if you lose it, you know, your money's gone. So, uh, so, you know, there's a cost. And so uh, I think Fediment helped sort of revive this idea a little bit. And then Kala was, uh, became interested in Fediment a couple months ago. And he's like, well, I want to understand how this works better. So he just started hacking away in Python. And over a weekend or two, he had a, a prototype. And so, you know, now this is kind of speaks to the power of the Ellen Bits ecosystem and everything. You can get something going really quickly. Uh, and so that's the similarity. They use this bear token system called eCash to, uh, to have like really private payments. And so the difference is that uh, Cashew, there's one server with one person running it. Uh, and with, with Fediment, you can have, up, you know, multiple people, 10 people, uh, 10 different entities uh, running the mint uh, collectively like liquid so no single there's no single point of failure no single point of trust with fediment and you know that's uh it enables a lot of interesting use cases but there's a cost too it's hard to build a federation as you see you know uh lightning or uh you know liquid was started in like 2013 right it's still they're still trying to get there you're still still working on it right so it's it's difficult to build a federation uh software but, so that's, that's a big difference basically say that a, a fediment with one in the federation is the same yeah yeah, I mean, besides implementation details, it's the same. Yep. Okay, but but you know, I have Bitcoin and I have Sats. Like, why why do I want eCash? eCash is a shitcoin. How do how do we explain to people that that's not quite there? Like, th there is uses where you know eCash is interesting. It, it is a substantially better thing than an IOU. Yeah, I mean, the reality is on the market, like you know, ninety five or higher percent of people who uh, quote unquote use Bitcoin have an IOU, right, from Coinbase, from Binance. I mean, the reality is it's almost all Binance, right, worldwide in terms of number of people. You know, most people, when they when you talk to them about Bitcoin or crypto, they they think it's just Binance. They think it's like a company, right? Uh, that's the reality in, in the broader world. And uh, and so that's a much, you know, I think it's an inferior form of IOU than eCash because, you know, it's, uh, I, think, I think if you choose your mint wisely, it's... Uh, probably less likely for that to disappear compared to Binance. And also it's private where Binance is heavily surveilled. I think the the main problem is that when eCash came around, Bitcoin didn't exist. So you, you were hardly dependent, right? Like you were not using leveraging Bitcoin as like, again, a source of truth, right? Yeah. So you were essentially just like, trust me. So it was not too different than a database when we're talking about in practice, right? I think... Since Bitcoin came about, 
it changed, like it substantially improved what in-cash proposition is. And, you know, say for example, Stocker News, right? Like, you know, it's so little, it's so like, you know, like the, there's going to be so many users, it's going to be so little transactions in terms of economical value that like, it's hard to justify for them to have like, you know, a node for each or sort of maintaining a proper thing. So a database makes a lot of more sense, you know, create an IOU for something that doesn't have a high threshold of security or something. So it's a lot better for you to use an eCash system, in my opinion, as your database of, of tokens in your website or whatever. It also provides privacy, right? Like, and transportability of that ownership. It's kind of like this weird middle ground between like Bitcoin and, and, and a database because the trust model is different. You do lose some there, but I still like a substantial, substantial improvement in security and privacy than a database. So Bitcoin also brings a lower barrier to entry in this story, because uh, normally, you know, with with the original eCash system, the the way you would get in, you would get in is you'd have to get all the terminals, etc., ready. But now, because this yeah. uh, uses Lightning on the outs on the outbound side, at least, you can basically just pay anywhere where Lightning is accepted. So you can just join the existing Lightning network, and you don't have to ask any Lightning network operator for permission to join the network. So it's much easier to try all these kind of systems. Yeah, yeah, that's what's really cool. From the outside, it just looks like Lightning Node. You know, it's like you never, you never know really that there's uh, a mint happening here or there's eCash inside. You know, it's just from the outside you see Lightning payments coming in and out. And so that, to me, that speaks. That, that understanding this was one of the things that, like I, you know, the the idea of Lightning as being this like uh, lingua franca to connect different parts of the Bitcoin ecosystem to me is really. Like that's really powerful. Like Lightning has some things that it's, you know, some some drawbacks, like some things that it's not great at, but this it's amazing at, you know? And that's really, really important because it allows all this innovation to happen and uh, it all is compatible, right? So you get this, you know, Bitcoin gets this network effect of all these different services that can happen and still work together. And uh, the shameless plug would be for episode 52 of Bitcoin Explained, where we explain the uh, the history of of eCash, including how the original D- uh, David Challenge system worked and then how Fetty Mint or something like it, because I don't think it existed yet, would play yeah. into that. Uh, I highly recommend people go look at the uh, Bitcoin prehistory section of the Nakamoto Institute. There is like a trove of like ideas and documents. Like Bitcoin becomes very obvious after you read all the Bitcoin prehistory. It's sort of like, oh my god, <laughs> like you know, we need to go in this direction. And and the invention of of you know the difficulty adjustment it really is what uh, makes everything happen. But it is really cool to understand how much stuff was being tried before Bitcoin, way before Bitcoin, in this sense. Uh, and now Bitcoin essentially is the digital money that you can sort of enter all these other digital money and systems. <clears throat> Otherwise, you'd have to ship people uh, a stack of $100 bills, uh, like eGold. It's also very clear that Nassim Taleb did not read that particular page. <laughs> he didn't read he a lot. He's a fraud. He doesn't understand what the actual breakthrough was in Bitcoin, and he doesn't yeah. refer to any of these earlier experiments, and he... You know, in his final, at the end of his paper, he comes up with a, essentially a pegged currency, which you know we know can't work. Probably. You know, my my new running theory is that like he paid some dude to write uh, all his books, and he's very confused about a lot that of that. Would things. make sense. 
Because like the books are absolutely phenomenal. They, they're, they're both good. like they're both like quality, but they're, they're also like entertaining too. Like it, it's, it's yeah. like absolutely brilliant, right? First person who made economics like probably interesting. But keep in mind when you're writing a book, you might be sitting like for five years and every day you write yeah. a couple of pages. So you don't have to be funny and great all the time to be right, able to write a good book. So it's very possible that 1% of, of Taleb's output really did produce those books. I don't know. Like I, I feel like when I hear him talk, like publicly, live or in a discussion, it starts to really show he has absolutely no clue what he's talking about. So, so that's the sketchy part. And also his portfolio. His portfolio is abhorrent. He has essentially like the worst possible returns of anybody who does this stuff. Well, he shorted Bitcoin, which sounds very dodgy because he, he said a couple of years earlier that it's very dangerous to short Bitcoin for um, the correct reasons. Like it's very dangerous to short Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Saifedean broke Taleb. <laughs> Great interaction. So, okay, so next is, uh, let's get into Zeus. Evan, why don't you read your own release notes for us? Sure, let's do it. Uh, Zeus version 0.7.1. First, I'm, I'm going to start with a disclaimer here. Uh, it's not mentioned here, but it's in the release notes. If you are on Android, this update will require you to re-add your settings, add your node configurations. So if you're on the road, you're not able to you know, shell directly into your node. Uh, you probably do not want to upgrade if you're on Android. Uh, iOS users are unaffected by that. Yeah, a lot of reasoning behind this one. Uh, it's a little hairy, but ultimately uh, we moved to a more secure storage mechanism. So uh, better results long term. We wanted to do a migration, uh, but we had a conflict that prevented us from doing that. So apologies to anyone affected by that. Android sucks. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it happens. But hopefully we make it up to you guys with some of these awesome new features. Uh, we got a lot here. A lot were from feedback we got from users. Some are from Rodolfo, actually. Uh, let's uh, let's run through them. I so like the about. worst part. People see a DM from Rodolfo, like if they're a software maintainer, and it's like there's like this list of like free advice. Yeah, you know? yeah he gave me like a laundry list. He's like, <laughs> "Yo, Evan, I love your wallet. It works so amazing with Alby." But here's seven things that I like yeah. to see. <laughs> can I have a can I have a lightning channel backed by my seed signer, please? Yes. My, no, my not seed. Yeah, seed signer. No, no, no. What is your thing called? Uh, the the Sats card and Tap Center. Sats card. Sorry, no seed signer. You hate. That's right. Oh yeah, he's. No, I, I don't hate it. I love the project. I just <laughs> you know, it's just don't put your money on it. <laughs> Secure element. At all, like I think, I think we. I don't think there's anybody who actually understands hardware security that would advise people to put money on a on a Raspberry Pi. Well, you're not. If you use it correctly, you're not putting it on there, right? But you expose it to your money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the time. I have my seat on my desk. I mean, it, <laughs> and then and then like it's desk. a Broadcom like black box. You can't really like attest to the fact that's read only either. So very easy to put an exploit there. Anyways, it's a very cool DIY project. People confuse DIY projects with like you know projects that like people do all kinds of auditing and like have all kinds of claims and attestations and things for people to real money. I think they're working on trying to get it to work on a non-Raspberry uh, board. So that would be ESP32, which is even worse. Well, it's not Raspberry. <laughs> I mean, those are the worst platforms on earth. Like, it's like, it, it, anyways, I won't get into it. Maybe when they have a software update, I'll add the software update and then we get into it. But I do love the idea of people mucking around with like building wallets and testing and learning. It's very cool. Uh, it could even be good for multi sig, but you know, just careful. 
All right, good tangent. But uh, yes. yeah, so next month we'll have seed signers for it on Zeus, so that'll be fun. Uh, so, so yeah, go through the list, Evan. Okay, yeah, so first off, we got a really nice uh, UI change as far as setting your fees. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on our old um, setup. It was causing a lot of problems for people who had their fees set too low. And now we've got a really nice picker that lets you pick between a fixed amount in sats or a percentage. Uh, super happy about that. Much better UX. Uh, on the LN URL side, we have full LUD17 support. Uh, so if you have like a LN URL withdraw card, like a bolt card, that will read perfectly now. Uh, we've got a new unified QR scanner on the node configuration page. Thank so you. like if you are, uh, you know, you got a QR that has your node configuration, Azus will automatically detect the type of node it is, even if you don't know. Uh, that's really helpful. Got a couple of new display settings, including uh, picking your default home view. Uh, I think Rodolfo recommended that. If you don't like the new keypad view, just go back to the old balance view. I think you you fixed the uh, Sats streaming thing, the Keysend display. Oh yeah, Shores also had a bug report for us for Sea Lightning REST users, uh, in which their Keysends were in kind of coming up properly. So they we were fixed showing that. up as zero Sats. Now they're showing up as the correct number of Sats. It's still like super noisy, so I guess you want to have a way to combine them. Because now, if I look at my transaction history, it is nine sets received, nine sets received, nine sets received, nine sets received, and then two pages down, you know, ten thousand sets received. Or something. We've we've actually got a a filter for the activity page, so you could say I want to see all my transactions that are above a hundred sets only. So you could try that out. Yeah, uh, Evan, did you guys fix the thing where if you tap in any item on the list, it just crashes the app? Uh, yeah, so we had some parsing issues for our LND hub counts. I believe we've ironed out most of that, but I'm going to be revisiting some of that stuff in the upcoming release. So 7.2 is on the way as well. We've got a couple nice. of cool features there. Paying by NFC cards too. But yeah, we're always iterating with Zeus. We've got a lot of awesome stuff on the to-do list, on, on the timeline. Very excited about that. You know, it's uh, been a busy year in 2022. We've got a lot of cool stuff out, including Lightning Node Connect. So those Tor users uh, don't have to be afflicted by that poor user experience anymore. Uh, and we've got a whole lot more for 2023 we're excited to uh, dive into. If stuff from like contacts, point of sale stuff, hardware wallet integrations. Uh, we'll see which hardware mm. wallets get integrated there, uh, secure element or not. Yeah, we're also hoping to, you know, have another version of the app with a dedicated backend so you don't have to remotely connect to a node. And uh, yeah, hope, hoping to start putting out our first LSP offering so you could get connectivity to the Lightning Network as well. So it's cool. going to be a very busy year for the Zeus team. Very cool. Evan, you guys do uh, a lot of good work with, with Zeus. I know you have a, a shop with some swag, but is there any... Are you just completely self-funded donations or, or plans for productization? Uh, yeah, so we, we've been talking with, uh, okay, so the, the shop, that's all drop shipping. I don't, I don't have any inventory, but um, yeah, right now we're all just community funded. If you want to support us, you could get on our community sponsors page that shows up on our website and in-app. Uh, we also uh, accept, you know, tips of uh, smaller amounts, Long term, though, yeah, we want we want to monetize Zeus. We want to make an LSP. Uh, we've talked to a, a few different uh, VC funds. Haven't found a deal that we like yet. 
but you know we're we're always actively uh, talking with people, uh, entertaining offers. There's gonna be a a sets card with uh, Zeus like a logo on it that like a, a like a huge part of the sales goes to them. That's part of uh, how we're gonna help fund them too. Nice. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, look look out for that this year too. But yeah, we're 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 staying busy. We got a, quite a few products that we expect to be releasing this year. So keep your eyes peeled. Neat. Moon Wallet 2.7.1. You can now set your wallet to prioritize Lightning for incoming transactions or show unified QR code for BTCLN. Unified QR code improvement improve the payment experience and are being adopted fast. It's too experimental. I love Moon Wallet. I, I do have a massive issue with it not using seeds. I had an experience recently with somebody who lost a lot of money because they forgot they, they lost their backup, uh, like the digital backup. Uh, or no, sorry, they forgot their password to the backup. And when you have a, a backup that sits on the cloud, uh, you never use your password. So like you forget, right? I mean, a year, two years pass, you completely forget it, right? Uh, and then I actually went there to do my own just to check. And long and behold, I also forgot it. Thankfully, the wallet was still on my phone and I could just move the funds and redo the whole thing, right? But I, I've realized this through this process, it actually happened, I think it was yesterday, that when you have passwords that you don't use frequently, you forget, you have to start treating them like seeds where you have a proper metal backup of that or whatever. But then if you're doing that, might as well have a metal backup of an actual seed. So I'm super, super not interested in, in like pushing, like I, I want to push people to use seeds. I think seeds are a better setup. We have a lot of economies of scale on seeds. We have best practices on seeds. Are seeds perfect? Absolutely not. Are they annoying? Yes, but they're highly recoverable. And uh, maybe if people want to experiment with these other ways of backing up things, that's great. But do offer maybe the seed option. Anyways, I'd love to see that. What do you think about BIP39 and other languages? I know there's some uh, yeah. some debate about whether BIP39 should always be English or... Yeah, so I don't like it uh, because I've seen horror stories. Essentially, what happens is people go and they use their, you know, like a Hindi version of it, right? Yeah. And then, like, there is no software implementation that supports it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then you can't recover because the UI cannot support the characters correctly, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the plates support it, right? The, the metal plates support it. It's like, for now, I would highly recommend people keeping it English because English also supports the, the smallest subset of characters because computers came from English. So, so like, it, it's just like, it's just a more saner setup. Uh, maybe in the future we can, you know, improve that. But for now, that would be my recommendation. So about seven, you know, six years ago, I opened a GitHub <clears throat> issue, I think, on the Satoshi Labs thing called BIP3947, whatever, no, not 47, no, BIP39, et cetera, wish list, which was a list of, like, if we ever redo this standard, let's do it better. Of course, that never went anywhere because, you know, people have too many different preferences there. But one of mm -hmm. the things that is kind of unfortunate about BIP39 is that it uses the literal words to come up with the entropy. So it's the letters that you're typing rather than the meaning or some encoding. So if there's a future standard, it would be nice if every word translated to a number and that those numbers, because it, they already do map to numbers, it's just that 
in order to calculate your seed, it doesn't use the number representation, it uses the string representation. Mm -hmm. So ideally, the seed would also just use the numerical representation, and then it's much easier to say, okay, word one in English is hello, word one in Chinese is ni hao, whatever. Yeah. Uh, then you could have multiple languages. You still have to be careful that there's like a very clear mapping. Ideally, you know, mm -hmm. either the words would have to have the same meaning, or they would never have the same meaning. You know, some some. I have a suggestion for that, sure. Uh, why don't we map all the foreign language uh, words to the English words, and the English words we remain the same because then it's backwards compatible. Right. Well, but you don't want it to be backwards compatible. If you, one of the things you want to do for this new standard is make sure that any new phrase will not work in old software and any old phrase will not oh. work in new software. Because I think you have to make a clean Good break. Good luck with that. Don't <laughs> well, make a clean break. Then what are you going to do with the, you know, you try no, to. No, that's why, that's language. why I love like mapping, mapping the foreign language words to one of the English words in the list. Because then even you could have an English backup as well if you wanted to. And you don't break the mapping, right, to the bytes. The thing with language is the other problem with language is that uh, you know maybe a word means something you know now, and 200 years from now it's not. Like if you look at English from 200 years ago and you try to recover it with 39 mnemonic from 200 years ago based on your understanding of what the word means instead of just the characters, you you would have a problem. But that's why I like the plates. The plates essentially like ignore word meanings and only record the first four letters, right? So yeah. it's 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 kind of like a cool thing. It's like when I'm when I'm uh, stamping a plate myself, I don't read the words as if they were words. I just read them as characters, and and then I use the word as just a checksum in my head of like that I actually got the characters right. But I mm -hmm. don't attribute meaning or, you know, like any sort of like, you know, music to remember. I don't want to remember my seed. So under duress, you can't find me. Like you can't get me to do it. I'm dyslexic anyway. So like <laughs> it's pretty hopeless. But uh, but the idea of separating meaning from that, I think is great. I just like the words, especially in English because it's a smaller subset of characters, just because it's, it's like easier to type, it's easier to, to sort of manipulate than other sort of setups. Yeah, and th there were also other suggestions by other people that you can make the, the list itself a little bit smarter, like making sure the first three characters are unique or something instead of four, and uh, making sure that they're not too similar, and there are ways that you can measure similarity between words, um, like you know if it's just one character difference or it's just a different syllable or a different consonant. You can do all sorts of things with it if you make a new standard. But getting a new standard, like that's you know it's never going to happen, I guess. I like uh, the low time preference shores here. In, in 200 or 300 years, the, 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 word, the word may change. That's adversarial low time preference thinking. That's well, right. 39 is still going to be around in 100 years. You're going to, you know, you're going to yes. find these steel plates somewhere in like a burnt down building or, you know, some some attic because grandpa, granddad was into Bitcoin. <laughs> and the yeah. two generations were not. And then the third generation is like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, we're gonna see these things forever. So LDK version zero point zero point one one three API updates, bug fixes, backwards compatibility improvements. I think we talked a little bit about LDK when we were talking about BDK. It's great. One thing to to note here, if you look at the release notes, there's a bunch of detailed API things. But I think digging through this for the for the newsletter. 
essentially a, a few of these roll into uh, support for being able to do LSP type things. And um, so the translation of some of that is enabling the additional LSP features at the end of the day. Yeah. Eclair version 0.8.0 uh, adds official support for two important lightning features, zero conf channels and channels, channel aliases. Let's go. Experimental support for dual funding and a lot of preparatory work for both 12 offers. Eclair, these guys from Async are absolute beasts. Uh, T-Bast uh, was on the pod about Lightning that I had recently. And what I'm actually super, super interested on is uh, channel splits. I think that's going to be a absolute game changer for Lightning. Uh, splicing. Get, splicing, sorry. Not splits. Yep. Uh, splicing. That is the thing that I think changes lightning from like, you know, being like cool and you can do the stuff, but you know, costs and things to like Jesus Christ. I mean, like you just replace all financial system with it. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like they're for they're pretty far along. Like when yes, I spoke yes. with it's Bass, not it vaporware. Like it's right? not vaporware. And it's sort of waiting for other implementations to get their splicing implemented in order to yes. activate it. Bolt 12, on the other hand, feels more like vaporware, even though there's a lot of work, work like done on it. It's still kind of like semi-out there. But uh, the splicing is, uh, is an absolute game changer. Yeah, I agree. It's not there yet. It's not implemented in enough places. But I like that you don't need to put a URL somewhere. So, I mean, I don't mind using URLs because I can set up an Nginx, you know, couple of routes and things like that and make it work. But it'd be nice to just have your Lightning node and you put a QR code tattoo somewhere i would still probably use a henna tattoo but and then people can just send you money or you can give away money you know on pieces of paper yeah oh don't get me wrong like like bolt 12 is amazing like it's really cool i can't wait for it it's just yeah, a, like you know like the market needed two years ago right and, and like lnur all sort of like feel the niche and if you're using lightning like an army LNURL like really works. I mean, and you have LNURL proxies as well. So for example, if you send sats to nvk at nvk.org, it gets proxied to my Albi LNURL in keys and then goes into my Albi account. Hmm. So because of the proxies, you can have your own domains without even running your own node. I was going to say, because I do run it on my own domain, but like I have to use BTC pay server and a bunch of custom rules to make sure that I can use the root domain and not a subdomain. It all works, mm -hmm. but it's not newbie proof. I have a LNURL proxy guide uh, for Albi. It's on nvk.org slash nvk.org slash Albi dash LNURLP. We'll put on the show notes. It just, it just shows you how to host the JSON file that you need for LNURL proxy on a GitHub pages. So like, you know, you guys know how to hold stuff, so ignore that. But the point is, all you have to do is just put this little JSON file there without the JSON extension, which annoys the heck out of me. And uh, boom, like, you know, sats get redirected through this proxy and, you know, like most of the, the, the apps, especially the ones that do podcast 2.0, like support this, haven't had any issues so far. I guess this works because you run your root domain on GitHub pages then? Yes. No, but, but you can put it anywhere else. You just got to set the course permissions to, uh, was it allow all, and then you're good to go. Okay, I'll have a look. It, it works anywhere. It's just, I just like showing guides to normies on GitHub pages because it takes them one second to put a website like live with the correct permissions. Yeah, no, GitHub pages is great until it's not. 
I guess. Yeah, I know. Of course. If you end up <laughs> on the sanctions list, then your your island URL disappears. But uh, yeah. But then you you know what what you're trying to restart. So probably. Justin, uh, to answer your question, I think HRF funded Dusty recently, who's working on splicing in Core Lightning. He's been working on it like a madman for a year. You know, he's just it's he's, he's like one guy kind of carrying the torch for the whole feature from what everything I can tell. Yeah, he's doing great. Oh no, I I think FHF is a contributor to Elenero stuff. But this is uh, splicing. Oh, the splicing, splicing stuff. Aren't the guys from Async also working on that? Like they were maybe the guys who know. started it or something. I I think uh, Nifty sort of has owned the spec, and I think Dusty's helping on the Sea Lightning, and I think uh, T Bast and team have have something. It sounds like almost ready to go when there's another implementation that has right. splicing. Very cool. I mean, Lightning is really, really complicated software. So like it takes a long time and then you have to figure out who is going to also implement and agree on features. It's it's going to be a, a, a painful thing forever in terms of like, you know, getting features that require other implementations to also agree on. But it's still easier than doing anything on the base layer because, you know, you don't need permission from everyone involved. Yes. You need to have right. at least one other implementation excited about it, or you think you can convince them in the long run and you try something yourself. But it also doesn't break, right? I mean, Bitcoin base layer is like, you know, it's like there. And these are the set of features that you can use. And if you use anything else, you fork off. Yeah, and <laughs> like, there's no undo button on the Bitcoin base <laughs> layer. So if you do anything, that's not such a good idea. So, yeah. That's right. It's also interesting. I think Bull 12 is interesting because uh, you know there used to be sort of two parties that kind of decided, like, you know, LND was most of the network and then C Lightning and then Eclair is just like one node, but it's huge. And uh, now you have LDK on the scene. And so like a feature that, you know, C Lightning is excited about offers, right? It's like four-year-old idea. It used to not maybe go anywhere, but now that you have like a third player, big player, LDK, if they, if they champion it, then, you know, it's it's a lot more leverage, so it's interesting to see more parties involved in like protocol spec decisions, and uh, like that's that's pretty cool. I, I think there is also like the one good thing about more parties is that they're all going to have different business dynamics and like business intent, right? Yeah. Some may be more interested in centralizing things more because that's how your middlemen make money. Right. Uh, others might be more towards, you know, like privacy and decentralization. It's sort of like, and it's all fair. I mean, that's that's how money works. That's that's how software works. Right. I mean, just different sets of incentives. I'll be, I'll be uh, version one point two three point zero. Tails comet ZTF improvements on Albi extension on mobile, Kiwi browser, uh, WebLN apps, Nostra web clients can now be used on mobile devices, and support for Euro USD denominated accounts have been added as well, Codlier. Uh, direct Albi account top-up on MoonPay, new JavaScript API for Lightning web apps and Nostra integrations. Uh, I won't go through that details, but I've been using Albi, uh, and I am a, I am a, a Chrome and browser extension disrespector, <laughs> you know, but, but I must say, I got to give it to them. Like they, they made a very sane, reasonable, like they pushed to the extent that the browser limitations are, I haven't heard of any XSS uh, attacks that affected them so far. It's not an easy thing to do. It props to them. It's, it's very cool. Works great. They're really sort of listening to customers and adding features. It's nice. What does it do? 
So it's essentially an HSM, right? As a browser extension, right? So you put your, your Nostra key there uh, and you can log in into places that support Nostra login. I forgot the NIP mm. number now. But they also do Lightning login as well, which was how they started. They also offer the Node thing and they offer uh, Albi uh, LNURL payments, but support also the proxy stuff. They're really trying to support all the things that people want to use. It's the MetaMask of uh, Noster. In a way, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. So the, the problem with these browser extensions, of course, is they, they are safe against what happens in the browser, as in the browser yeah. cannot detect the extension websites, or at least usually not. But the other way around, uh, very much they can. So the extension yes. can do whatever you're doing. And I think there are some permissions that can All be permissions. by the All extensions. Read. No, but I mean, it might be possible to prevent the extension from calling home, but I guess that's not even necessary. If it just wants to steal your money, it doesn't have to call home. It can just make a transaction and send yeah, it. Yeah, so with them, they need to call home, and that's how they do the lightning stuff, right? Because you're using their node. So like, it is like, you're fully essentially privacy-wise. If they were nefarious, they could just read your all your browser activity and send it home, and you wouldn't notice, right? Yeah, so one tip would be then a Chrome profile that you only use to log into your favorite Nostar clients or, or websites or whatever you're using and not use it for anything else because you can actually have extensions limited to one profile in, in yes. Chrome. Uh, you can also whitelist for just websites as well, if I remember right. That could be useful too, yeah. Yeah. And probably you're more likely to actually do that, so maybe that's better. Yeah. Another problem with extensions is that, like, you know, I, I doubt that the project maintainers are bad people. The problem is, you know, if they get compromised without them knowing, and then you have like bad guys who are very, very good at being bad guys, sort of like trying to to leverage that uh, that connection to you. Yeah, but also if the extension is built with Node.js, I don't know if that's the case here. But then I you, believe it is. Yeah, well, then you get back to the dependency circus that's on yes. sub 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 dependency says uh, spend all. Yep. Uh, I mean, if anyone had the pleasure of installing Node on their computer, uh, which. <laughs> It's awful. It, you know, you just look at that screen, go. You know, like, it's like you want a simple extension, I don't know, like, that just do, like parses JSON or something. It just takes two days of, like, packages to install so that it can, you know, like, read JSON. Yeah, the, the Node uh, ecosystem is particularly bad when it comes to dependencies of dependencies of dependencies of dependencies yeah. of dependencies, like 10,000 packages just to do one thing. Yeah, a lot. A lot of it is cultural too. Like, there's yes. just so many noobs contributing code. There's so many projects that just get left to the the wayside and are not maintained. Uh, it's it's difficult developing responsibly in the JavaScript ecosystem for sure. But I'm surprised there haven't been that many. At least there haven't been many published exploits uh, since the Copay incident. I haven't read any of them. Um, there must have been some. Maybe I just didn't notice them. But they. I think people just that, don't know. You know things like MetaMask. Probably also using Node.js. Do you think there'd be many more exploits? Is there, like, uh, Evan, you, you might know this better. Is there any initiative on the Node.js to have maybe like a subset or, or a variant of Node that is sort of like catered more towards like people who care about the security and are building sort of more important, dangerous things? Yeah, there's definitely been some efforts for more secure runtimes. Um, there's one in the last few years I remember called Dino, uh, which was based on TypeScript entirely. So, you know, JavaScript has very weak typing. TypeScript attempts to 
give those types uh, a little more strength, uh, make it a little more sturdy. Yeah, but, but but what about like actual dependency management and like you know reviews and things like that? Not even going all the way to TypeScript and just sort of like managing dependencies better, or maybe having a package that has no dependencies, it's all built in kind of thing that that cares about security. Uh like I, it's 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 rare. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of it's cultural. People really just grabbing whatever they can without diving into it and throw it into a project. So. Um, you know, if you're you're building a JavaScript project that touches people's money directly, uh, there's a lot of responsibility you have managing those projects, making sure they're maintained, whenever possible, just writing the code yourself. It's uh, it can get hair, very hairy very quickly. I think uh, Justin might have to drop out soon. So, Justin, do you want to do you want to go over some of the the Fedimint stuff that that you wanted to bring up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Where, let me open them. Uh, so they're in like uh, significant updates section down in the like news. Yep. Lower down in the list. I was I was put it rather low in the list. I'm disappointed about my place in the oh, list. Oh, hey, listen, you're still a twenty percent up on that that list. So like you're in the first twenty percent. <laughs> so uh, I yeah. should expect to be at the bottom, right? That's good. That's good right. Point. Yeah. You've been <laughs> slacky point. on appearances. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be I'll be back here soon. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, so I just threw up three uh, Fediment PRs that are kind of interesting. So the first one called Go Live with Modularization. So an interesting thing about Fediment is, uh, like Bitcoin, it has a transaction. It's a transaction system, right, with inputs and outputs. Uh, and the interesting thing is, like the a couple months ago, uh, inputs and outputs were like an enum, right? Like you'd have a an input or an output from the Mint module. That's the eCash. An input and an output from the Lightning module or the on-chain wallet module, right? And it was like a static enum. And so the last couple of months, we've refactored this to make it uh, something that's dynamic. So you can like load your own modules in and define what, what you can have. You, you, you can basically like federate any kind of uh, application here. Uh, and so that's, that's really neat. We finally got the server side of this working completely. Uh, the client side of it is still a work in progress, but uh, uh, it's really neat. You know, we're able to, uh, you know, kind of a ton of uh, interesting module ideas floating around. Uh, Bolt 12 is a really good one, right? Bolt 12 invoices are Schnorr signed. So uh, if the Federation can produce one Schnorr signature using like Frost or Roast, uh, you could have a Bolt 12 invoice uh, in the Federation and you just have to upload some encrypted pre-images to it and it can spit out, you know, up- upload Bolt 12 offer and it'll spit out Bolt 12 invoices. So uh, there's a bunch of cool stuff. Actually, a state chain is another interesting one, right? Like that's when you're talking about Mercury, right? The idea is like, well, it's a one entity that you're trusting, right? It would be cool if you could split that trust up a little bit. So it'd be like a federated state chain. That would be like a really interesting module idea to build into Fediment. And so you could do that without any eCache or Lightning or anything, right? You just you could remove the existing uh, modules and functionality and add something else, uh, something else. So uh, in the list, we also see uh, there's a, so we announced a hackathon at Fedi. Uh, Fedi is the company. Fediment is like the open source MIT license protocol. And so we have a two Bitcoin reward for anybody who builds an interesting module. And so I've got a bunch of people in our Discord right now, chat that Discord dot uh, or chat dot building modules. It's cool to see someone's building a password manager, someone's building some other things. So some are like kind of cute ideas, but uh, it's cool to see people uh, running with this. And uh, yeah, so that's the first one. I think this is like a really like earlier when I was going to describe Fediment. Like one way to describe it is like a federated Chamium Mint. Another way to describe it is like just a a framework for building a federated application, right? Because you could you could do it without any charming mint stuff at all, right? Another interesting module idea is just like a, a an account system that has a 
of uh, audit log, right? Like this is like or aid organizations want this. Like if they're going to deploy money into a community, they want an audit log until it reaches the community. But then it becomes private, right? When the end recipient gets it, then they can spend it privately. So there's a bunch of cool things that the community is cooking up there. So that's exciting. Very cool. Can you explain how Bolt 12 could play into this, into a Fetty Mint? How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, an offer is is like a way to produce uh, invoices. I forget everything on there. It's maybe just like a, sh- uh, a Schnorr pub key or something is is on there. And and then you, you know, to create an invoice, it's, it's much like it. The invoice generation currently, but you have to uh, you have to you have to uh, fetch it, right? So you you see a Bolt uh, twelve invoice that says, "Hey, go to it's not a, yeah, it's an offer." Bolt twelve right? offer. Says, go to this node and ask me for an actual invoice, and then the yeah. Node- so the way it would work is you'd scan the offer, right, and then you you would go communicate to the Lightning network through to the Lightning node that is is described there, and so this is like attached to the Federation, right? And so this guy will get a message for a Bolt twelve. Uh, invoice that it, it can't generate itself because you don't want to trust the lightning node. You want to trust the federation. And so it'll be like, oh, but I, I think this federation might be able to give me this invoice. So it just sends a message to the federation and the federation gives it an invoice and maybe it's paid, you know, like one sat or some millisats for, for uh, facilitating this uh, procedure. And then right back out the lightning network and you got a Bolt 12 invoice on the other way. And the, the key thing here is that uh, Schnorr signatures really help here because it's a lot easier to do a threshold Schnorr, Schnorr signature than it is with the ECDSA. So that's what, you know, Frost and Roast are a, a way for to produce this, right? One signature from, let's say, a three of four mint, right? So we haven't f- d- done this yet, but there is so there, there's a module that someone made two months ago called Frosty Mint, uh, where they were able to do a taproot native on-chain wallet for Fetty Mint. Using Frost, this is a way to produce a, a you know a threshold nor signature from a, a quorum, and it's not really legit yet because Frost one one malicious participant can disrupt Frost, uh, but there's a thing roast which basically just retries Frost if this happens. Uh, that's a way that that would work in a federated setting. So I think within a couple months, yeah, we'll have a you know. We'd be able to support Bolt 12 if the Lightning Network did. So that'd be kind of neat if we got there before Very Lightning cool. did. But the idea here is that the Lightning node itself is probably still going to be a single SIG, single machine, but the federation is just to do the tokens side, right? So how does that interact then? I, as a user, want to buy some of these anonymous tokens, these eCash tokens, and then I say, okay, give me a Lightning invoice. Then I guess the federation well, so yeah. creates the Bolt 12 thing. Is that how it so works? from the outside, from the outside of Federation, like you can interact with like a user inside of Federation only over Lightning, and you you, you don't need tokens to interact with. You know, uh, Lightning is just like the interface. But like, yeah. let's say you're inside the Federation and you want to use the Lightning network, right? So, uh, so yeah, I want but, to use it to pay, not to buy my tokens, but to that's pay right. somebody outside. Yeah, yeah. So the way it works, so that this is one of the modules, the Lightning module. It's basically an escrow module. So uh, when you want to pay an invoice, you say, okay, I'm going to put this invoice in the Federation, and I'm going to attach some tokens to it. Anybody who presents a pre-image that corresponds to the payment hash inside this invoice will get these tokens. And the amount of these tokens will be slightly higher than the amount of the invoice, right? So you're incentivizing some Lightning node to go and find this pre-image. That's what a Lightning payment is. You just go find a pre-image. And uh, present that to the federation, and the federation is like the you know the escrow agent that will say yes, this the hash of this preimage matches the payment hash. So it's like an escrow system, and they'll make sure I don't double spend in this scenario because I'm presenting exactly the, the federation makes it atomic. Yeah, yeah, cool guys. All right, Justin. Sorry, 
I have a few more projects and we're starting to run out of time here. Okay, let me let me just do two more and I'll just do a sentence on each because they're interesting. The second one was a, a way to do, so like to generate one seed. And like, let's say you lose your tokens, we can, you know, generate a seed and recover them from the Federation. So it's like a nice backup thing. You know, it's like Bit39, but for eCash tokens. So that's cool. And then we have a setup UI that we've finally worked. So you can just get like a little page with about five or six forms and uh, you can set up a Federation in a couple minutes, which is pretty wild. So yeah, that's that's it's neat to see this. Yeah, no, Fetty is cool and and like it's like a whole different universe too, right? Do you know what we're gonna do? Uh, I'm gonna get Kali and you and uh, maybe one more person, and we're gonna sort of like go through uh, Fetty and and Cashew and eCash and do like a whole sort of like two hours or so episode on that. Awesome. I think a lot of people have absolutely no idea about eCash and don't understand what the fuck's going on, and they think it's like a shitcoin. Probably I don't help by calling a shitcoin. Including you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that's not Bitcoin is a shitcoin. Yeah, we'll go over it. So what we'll do is uh, stick around for us as, as far as you want and, and can. I think we still get like probably another like 20 minutes, half an hour here. Yeah. And I still want to get to uh, a few sort of Nostra projects and a, a little bit of Optac as well. And maybe if everybody doesn't need to run to pee, we can still get through uh, some news articles. All right. So uh, the next one is Damus. I'm not going to read each version of the app. The uh, wheel releases a version of the app every two days. Impressive. It, it is. It is amazing. Uh, the guy is an absolute beast. It's cool to see him finally find like his project because he's, he's yes. a really talented programmer. And I've been like, wait, he just kind of hops around to stuff. Like for like six or eight months, he was just like volunteer contributing to Sea Lightning, like in the early days, right? Just to, you know, he built his own game engine he built uh, aqua i think yeah he built aqua he built his uh, a, a game engine in c like he does all these really crazy uh like he built a wasm interpreter once for fun uh so you, you follow him on get on twitter and he's got these amazing projects so it's really cool to see him finally find his niche and i, I love when like devs like find something that interfaces with the actual user and and they yeah. can like just do, make the whole banana, deliver the whole banana and be passionate about it. Because yeah. then it's just like, it's just monster mode, right? like beast. Yeah. That's what just happened with him. Like it's like, it's like a, a dev like realizes like, Hey, I can't deliver directly to you users and they're actually using yeah. my software they want and they it. love it. It's like, wow. And then, bah, 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 bah. I mean, the guy's yeah. like coding and delivering software on his birthday. <laughs> you know, like It's wild. I follow a, a bunch of people on Noster and Every time I go in, it's him updating something or somebody commenting on something that he's updated and providing feedback. It's like a real-time yeah. thing. It's, it's quite great. It's super cool. And I, I just did an episode with uh, Will, uh, Jack Dorsey, and Fiat Jaff. I think it was two episodes ago or something. Uh, we, we, we really go over Nostra and explain to people what the heck's going on and, and what is it and what they're trying to achieve and stuff. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It's it's gonna it's it's kind of like a Bitcoin moment in a way. Like you have a protocol that's truly novel, even though it looks trivial, and and I think people are gonna take quite some time to wrap their heads around it. The topology of this is uh, it's pretty nuts. Anyways, uh, next is the one we jumped uh, BRB.io. That one is mine. We have a a, a performant uh, relay built from scratch that has a proper search text search. We're building a bunch of other cool little things around it. The UI is pretty now. Pablo's still on the cover. And uh, uh, we hope to to start playing with uh, Lightning integration on that too. 
Is that something you guys commissioned internally to, to build a queen kite or? Well, this is a classic uh, Doc Hacks uh, baby, you know, like uh, we start playing around today, start running some some relays and he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to build a, a relay from scratch over the holidays and sort of like built it. And then we're all sort of like doing the easy stuff now. And it's on Redis too. We we got a box that is like bare metal that has 256 gigabytes of RAM. Oh, and, uh, wow. and, you know, like, let's just put Onoster on memory. So That's it awesome. is performant. Uh, it is pretty cool. And hopefully we help bootstrap because like once Domus gets released on iOS, you're going to have like another new 200,000 users come immediately. And we want to be able to sort of like support that. Uh, if we can. And it's also unmetered as well, which is kind of fun. So we're going to see if we can break the internet with web sockets. What else? Next one is Nosotros, uh, Nosotros mobile client. Yet another one. There's 50,000 of them now. It's pretty cool. This one's not too bad. I've tried it out. It's an Android based one. Uh, yo, what's up? It's cool. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Nosotros.snort or something. It's a lot of cool stuff out there. And it's growing. And I think uh, it's sort of like the comms that Bitcoin needed for coordination. Because uh, co free money, free is in freedom money. Without coordination, people can't trade. So uh, we needed that. Are folks working on uh, coordination of like uh, using Noster to, I know there's like different message types and maybe you could have a message type for like DLCs and, and be passing around like DLC proposals or some such thing? Is anybody working on anything like that? Knowing the sort of like the the ethos of the project, I doubt they're going to want to create a kind just for that. That would also dox the stuff. So like, you know, it's just key pairs. So like if you want to send a, stick that in a message, totally doable. Depending on the size, then yeah, you might create something binary. But for now, I think that's, that's the way. I think somebody did create a PSBT coordinator. I, I don't think it's a good like medium for that. When I mean co communication coordination, I think it's more like a you know like two humans if they want to trade they need to talk to each other, uh, and when all the comms are censored, like how are you gonna sell stuff right? Mm -hmm. Right now people are just playing with a Twitter sort of version of Noster, but I think like we're gonna start seeing like uh, markets and ads and sort of like like a like a kind of like listings for stuff and and other like very interesting sort of uh, things around that. I think VHF released a uh, a comments section for your blog. So you just put this piece of JavaScript there. And if anybody sends a note to that, it shows up below as if it was like notes on, on, on posts. Now, imagine if there was a listing. So you post a listing, say you're selling a stove, right? Gas stoves are going to be uh, around very soon. So you post <laughs> a, a note there for your, uh, for your gas stove, saying a gas stove for, you know, $20. If there is a place to, to automatically display that, it'll be great, which there will be very soon. You can create a way that captures that and a website that just shows that. Uh, and then people can reply to that, right? Uh, and then they can turn into DMs too, if that is required. Uh, I still don't like the DM situation on Oster. Like uh, you dox uh, the who to who, the graph, the social graph, even though the machine is encrypted, but there is, I think, a nip for it. By the way, uh, any cryptographers or people who are very, very well versed in that, uh, who are interested in new problems, there is a lot of interesting new problems to be solved on Noster. A lot of those will be probably like a quick thing for people who understand this stuff deeply. Anyways, uh, you know, key delegation and key revocation based on their 
needs. There's a lot of cool stuff there to work on. So fun and simple coin joining explorer from Super Testnet. This is uh, for uh, for join markets, if I remember right. Uh, Waxwing, which is Adam Gibson, posted this one. Uh, it just shows you all the transactions that are being mixed. Uh, very cool. Uh, show notes will have the, the link to it. Oh, Crooks, uh, hardware, uh, a open source air gap Bitcoin hardware wallet. Somebody built this from scratch. Very cool uh, DIY project. Uh, these guys do seem to understand hardware, which is kind of nice. Uh, so another another uh, open source uh, DIY kit. Thanks, Justin. We'll see you, Justin. Later, Justin. Please don't rug everyone. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Fetty rug. It's a Persian rug. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to give him a little bit of flack. Some interesting boosts today. So we're going to pick just a, a few. There's a lot. And, and absolutely, thank you so much for streaming the sats. Uh, with your stream sats, I bought a lot of uh, hard seltzers at the Bitcoin Park. Uh, so the money was immediately spent. So um, Ape, uh, Myth, Rendier, a uh, very useful episode, but I tend to boost all my stack away on podcast 2.0. Jenna Verrett, uh, Merry Christmas. Hi, Transverse sent us 50k sats. Thanks for that. Eric99 sent us 100k sats and stay humble tech sats. Well, we're trying. Thank you. Pitar. Uh, Pitar is a frequent booster and sat uh, sender to us. Uh, the podcast where good intentioned Smart people don't always agree. I like that vibe, NVK. Thank you. Uh, George Orwell sent us 10K sets. Deuce Denton, thanks, NVK, and guests. Uh, Max Webster, uh, incredible pod and a value for value web is most important project in the world right now, in my opinion. Uh, Mary Oscar, uh, which is the main person at uh, Fountain, uh, said that uh, I should get Jack on the splits. An orchid cow sent us a uh, quarter million sats. <laughs> Thanks for that, sir. Or ma'am. Thank you. Right, let's go into Optech. Mr. Mike, do you wanna do you wanna give us like uh, maybe like a couple items that are like big deal and people might be missing? I plugged it earlier, but I'll plug it again. And I'm not sure if you guys covered it recently, but uh, the year in review newsletter I think is a good way to recap what happened in 2022. Um, and that'll point to detailed articles, uh, newsletters that we've posted, but also the firsthand sources of the information, including the mailing list and the PR. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. And then I, I saw that you have 232 and newsletter 233 here, and we can kind of jump into a couple of things from each one of those. Uh, I think Go for it. everyone is uh, a bit aware of what happened with Luke and losing his bitcoins and potentially having a insecure setup which also in this context of optech affected the signing key that he uses as he's the primary author of the bitcoin knots software fork of bitcoin core and bitcoin knots adds some flavor to bitcoin core that some preferences that that luke has in terms of how things should be done of course in a compatible way but due to the fact that he's lost that signing key, there's the potential that the same person or entities that have compromised that signing key could be compromising some of the binaries in some capacity. And so 
there's caution warranted for users of Bitcoin Knots. One comment on Bitcoin Knots, uh, you guys, I don't know if you guys would disagree or not, and I'm certain it would be controversial. You know, aside from the fact that I don't like some of the choices that Luke makes there, especially the blacklisting stuff, I think Bitcoin Knots is essentially like one of the only like clients of last resort for Bitcoin. If all faith was lost on Bitcoin Core, it's kind of cool that there is one implementation that has some respect and some sort of wrap for people to quickly sort of migrate to if uh, if push comes to shove. It's based on Bitcoin Core, though. So yeah, no, it, it is. But but you know, like he's pretty into it's. It's kind of like the guy who builds Temple OS. You know what I mean? It's like you have this thing that is like extremely, extremely opinionated. There is some wrap. People follow it. A lot of people run it. As a as a like a backup client or whatever, it, you know it has choices that are very opinionated and many people don't like, including me. Don't like a lot of options there, but I think it's interesting that we have one semi-separate thing going on from Core because like Lib Bitcoin is it's not like something I would recommend to anyone to run as your as your consensus alternative. Uh, you know, it doesn't even have UTXO set, so it's a very cool project. It's a very interesting initiative, but I I, I think. I think, I don't know, it's just nice to the extent that Bitcoin can be, can have an alternative client, which you shouldn't have. It's nice to have something that isn't maintained by somebody else. So, so there's two things here that might be interesting to bring up that also tie into what you just said. It is unfortunate that he was only signing it by himself because until very recently, generally, if you were maintaining a, any software project, you would have one maintainer that would do the signatures. And if that maintainer was compromised, then you're screwed. And that's exactly what happened. The PGP key was no longer useful. Now in Bitcoin Core, and probably technically in the latest version of Knots 2, but I don't know if he's backported that yet, we can now have multiple people sign for a binary. So you would have multiple PGP signatures that uh, attest to the same binary, which is nice because then if one of those PGP keys is compromised, the other ones are still useful. And there is an open pull request on Bitcoin Core that lets you actually verify them. So you run some verify binary thing and it will download the binary and it will download all these signatures and, and check them against whatever you have in your PGP chain and then demand some level of trust. So that's kind of cool because that would have, you know, if this had happened a year later, it may not have been a problem at all. He may not have had to revoke the release because you could just say, well, just untrust my signature, but don't worry because these other two signatures are still fine. The other thing is that Geeks builds, so the deterministic builds, uh, allow you to make sure that the, whatever source code is on the uh, repo for knots, you can very quickly trust that the binary actually matches that. So I was able to sign his Geeks build very quickly with like just one setting change compared to doing a Bitcoin Core build. And that makes me optimistic about people who do want to fork Bitcoin Core, the software, that you can have your, you know, your Bitcoin NVK and as long as on GitHub I can see what your commits are that you put on top of the Bitcoin Core release, I can very quickly look at those commits and then I can trust that the binary is actually real. I'm not downloading NVK malware. Uh, where did you publish your signature of knots so that people can find in case they're interested in, in the Bitcoin knots repo? Uh, basically, the GitHub, uh, Bitcoin knots GitHub organization has a git, uh, geeks.six repo in it, which is essentially the same as the uh, Bitcoin Core six. It works the same way. The only thing you change when you do a build is the uh, is the repo that you push your signature to. 
I wonder if we should uh, if we should have that sort of linked somewhere because I I don't think I'm not attesting to the quality of the code at all. I'm only no, saying I know this, this particular I know. code matches this binary and what you know. No, I'm this is a problem that I'm super interested on from the meat space side, from the practical sort of like normie user side. Uh, that's the reason why we made binarywatch.org. Mm-hmm, that's a good uh, and we and we tried with the bitcoinbinary.org as well that I wish to be more contribution, but there isn't. It's this idea that like, you know, most people can't deal with this stuff and most people don't watch the stuff. Even devs don't watch it, right? I mean, we saw that with Electrum when they had the, the server compromise and they were releasing bad binaries. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to watch binaries of projects that either we can get our heads around it or are important enough. And then if the server is compromised or if something changes and we don't have that, like a good known signature for that, good known public key for that, uh, we throw a warning, right? So, so anyways, I was thinking that maybe there is some place there where like we can maybe deeper integrate to geeks or like, I don't know, like maybe there's, there's an opportunity here to find more sanity on this. Yeah, I can look up the pull request that does the uh, verify whatever. Sorry for the tangent, Mike. Run it. No, that's good. It's, it's, uh, it, it's funny that the two things that Shores brought up are two services that that you provide in terms of the reproducible builds. And I think the, the is it binarywatch.org is the other one? Yeah. So I put in the, uh, the pull request in the chat, but basically okay. there's a verify script that you can integrate with, with your little setup. You can run that script yourself and you can tweak a bunch of things about it. Okay. We're it's just looking to be a little tailor made per project, right? Bitcoin Core works yeah. this way, but maybe at least, you know, there'll be some generalized version of any geeks project will roughly work in this way. And maybe one day, a more universal way to do it? It's kind of fascinating, right? I mean, before Bitcoin, there were no deterministic builds, right? I mean, like Bitcoin introduced a whole new need for for a trust in software, right? Because the money is in the computer between quotes. So that was, there's no rollbacks and stuff. So, and Bitcoin also identified how deep uh, package issues are and all this, the stock issues and everything else. But, but what's amazing to me is that like, you know, binary signatures, even if you don't get into building them or whatever, like it's, it's free security. I mean, and, and it's free asymmetric security, right? Like you get like the, so much for nothing and, and like, it's so overlooked. It's, it's so like not appreciated. Like I wish like, you know, and we're at a fault here too. Like, you know, maybe a cold card should ship with like less known eight, like say 30 bytes of hash of like, you know, Bitcoin Core, just so you have one more source of truth uh, of the signatures. I feel like just spreading the signatures, hashes and, and, and spreading this idea and getting normalcy to understand that you have to check this kind of stuff. Like it, it, it's just crazy how much security you get for nothing. Seamless plug for episode 21 of Bitcoin Explained, which talks about geeks and Gideon. Nice. That, that's really good. I mean, Gideon is, is, is it's a... Uh, it's Gideon problematic in complexity, this, right? Yeah, yeah. It was very, very hard to use. I've I've done yes. Gideon builds, and uh, once it's you brutal. get the system working, it works. But do not ever touch that setup because it yeah, will completely I, break. I mean, and Docker is also awful, but it, you know, it's a lot better still than that. You don't need Docker to use Gideon. No, no, but to, for example, build for cold card, right? When, and people don't understand when you check the 
when you change the packages, everything is going to break. Or like, for example, that, yes, there will be a difference, right? There will be enough bytes for the signature that will be different than the actual build. So there's a lot of complex knowledge that people have to get over the hurdle, or at least we have to find better ways of explaining to people what to look for. But anyways, it's getting better. You know, like the world is going towards a better place. I, I think that's like it makes me makes me feel fuzzy in the heart that like there is this awesome thing and it does make the world more safe and it's centralized too, right? You don't. It's not like uh, certificate authorities, right? Uh, where like you know everybody's website could get rug pulled tomorrow because you can't self sign. Uh, SSL. If you self-sign SSL, your browser is going to tell that it's an unsafe website. It's just a very cool thing. Uh, uh, sorry for the tangent there. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, like, let's continue this. That's no, great. Uh, speaking of software forks of Bitcoin Core, there were two a couple weeks ago that were discussed in newsletter 232 of Bitcoin Optech. And the first one is Bitcoin Inquisition. And Bitcoin Inquisition was an idea that AJ Towns had posted to the mailing list a few months ago. There was some thinking that went into essentially creating a software fork, not a soft fork, but a, a Bitcoin core that soft forks in on Signet different soft fork proposals. So the two that AJ decided that were to be supported in this first version of Bitcoin Inquisition was Sighash AnyPrevOut and OpsyTV proposals. So when you use the Bitcoin Core software, you, you can connect to mainnet, you can do reg test, you can do testnet, and there's also over the last couple of years, there's this signet. And you could run your own signet, but you could also run the default signet. It's already, someone's already put time into maintaining. And this software allows you to use these proposals, which are activated on a soft fork of Signet. So you could play around with OpsyTV, see how it interacts on its own. You could see how it interacts potentially with SigHash AnyPrevOut, or you could play obviously with uh, SigHash AnyPrevOut as well. So a very cool way to test some of these proposals. So I'm assuming, because it says it's on the, the default Signet, so I'm assuming the default Signet uh, miners are enforcing those two soft forks? Yeah, there. I don't remember the exact activation on Signet, but yes, I think that, that they've been activated. I think there is some participation with the signers on Signet. Yeah, they'd have to because otherwise, you can run your little um, your software that enforces the software on Signet. But as soon as anybody violates those rules, you will stop syncing Signet. Yep. So the miners have to cooperate here to make that work. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool project. I have not played with it myself, but I conceptually supportive of the idea. Shores, have have you run Inquisition at all? Uh not yet. Okay. And then the the second software fork that happened it's kind of funny that these all happened in the same newsletter, the the Bitcoin Knots, the full RBF peering node and, and Bitcoin Inquisition. But the second software fork that was announced was full RBF peering node. Peter Todd put a patch on top of Bitcoin Core 24.0.1, and it does a couple things. One is when communicating with peers on the network, it sets the service bit, which essentially communicates to peers that, hey, I am a full RBF node, and you're, you're free to relay those transactions through me. And then that's actually similar, and I think it's the same service bit that Bitcoin Knots uses to uh, acknowledge that Bitcoin Knots is also uh, servicing 
full RBF replacements. And the change here with this full RBF peering node that Peter Todd put together was that there's also preferential peering to try to connect to four additional peers that also have advertised that service bit in an effort to sort of have some semblance of uh, the node network that is supporting the mempool full RBF flag. So there's some preferential peering there that does not exist in knots. And so the idea there is that you sort of have this subnet that is relaying uh, these transactions that uh, I think there's some math behind how much percentage of the network you need to actually be relaying these. And I think there is a miner that is, is mining these. So some interesting work there with the full RBF drama. Yeah, so if I wanted to verify this binary, it'd be nice to have some some handy scripts for that, right? Because in this case, it's saying, oh, this is based on Bitcoin Core PR25600. So if I wanted to manually check that, I would go to that pull request. I would look at the commit hash of the last commit in that pull request. And then, you know, you'd look at the other commits to see if there's nothing weird in there. And then you'd want to see that there's a Geeks build out there for that specific commit. But it'd be nice if the if the Bitcoin verify script could just say like, okay, Bitcoin verify and then a hash and then a URL to say, okay, you know, when Peter Todd puts a link to this node, can I, you know, quickly give the URL that he's giving to this little verify script and the uh, pull request number and then say that, because maybe, you know, a lot of people have pull requests open in Bitcoin Core and they're waiting forever to get it merged. And one way to promote your pull request would be to give easy to download binaries to people who just want to test something on testnet. Yeah, that'll be that'll be pretty awesome. Yeah, and then to not have malware, but if if there's a simple way to say, okay, this pull request number on Bitcoin Core actually corresponds to this binary, and you know, it may be a bad piece of code, but at least it is that piece of code. That be might be a useful tool to anybody who's listening. That that's uh, that's a great uh, great improvement there. I mean, listen, the listeners will keep on dropping, right? Because we're now at like two hours and fifteen minutes. No, they're growing. Some people will start listening in the middle. They're growing. Hey, listen, uh, the intent of this pod was to bore people to death with like, <laughs> we're going we're to shove signal in your head, even if you don't want it to. No, that, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Any, any other notable things that we should know or should we just send them to Optech? I think we can cover this last one uh, news item from last week quickly. I, and users or listeners can, can jump in to get more detail. We did a Optech recap Twitter space last week with Z-Man and Jesse, which is pretty cool. Z-Man actually exists, and he, and he was speaking on the Twitter space. I, I agree, by the way, with this idea of making that a podcast, because I cannot be bothered to log into Twitter spaces, partially because yes. my Safari mobile browser will turn my phone into a stove when listening to Twitter spaces, <laughs> and it skips whole things. Sure, so we're going to send you an iPhone. <laughs> I have an iPhone, but I'm actually <laughs> experimenting with Graphene OS, so that's why I've been using Android. Oh, okay. And there we go. for two months. It's horrible. It is horrible. Uh, um, the Apple experience is decent, and uh, you know, you know my views on this. I, I don't like the security theater of a lot of the Android stuff. No, I was getting a little annoyed by Apple when they started to say, "Oh, we're going yeah. to upload your photos to a server when we think there's pornography right. on them." It's like uh, right. if, if that's what Apple's doing, I don't want to use their devices. But it's very hard to move away from them. Very, very hard. Yeah, their their hardware is uh, bar none, and the the effort that they make in their aside from their choices in regards to closeness and 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 morals and ethics and preference. It's the littlest thing. Like I got the Pixel phone. And it's got this bulky 
camera extrusion, no, I, dude, and the like glass it, spontaneously shatters, and that's a <laughs> normal issue. No, that's, people don't people don't understand like the the level in which Apple plays. Like you know, these guys are like they make their own capacitors and their own like resistors. Like it, yeah. it, you know, like they they really uh, they they take that to another level, and it shows, right? I mean, like the phone scrolls. They have an ASIC for scrolling. <laughs> scrolls like butter. 100 frames a second. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it really is remarkable. I mean, it, open an Apple device. I highly recommend and look inside. Like it's, uh, you feel like it, it's, it's like an alien uh, 100 years ahead. Yeah. Anyway, so I would like the, uh, the, these things in a podcast and then continue what you were saying, Mike. Yeah. Duly do, do, do noted. It's on, it's on my list. I, it's on me. The so yeah, Z-Man and Jesse jumped on uh, last week to talk about their proposal. This is something they posted to the Lightning Dev mailing list, and it's a new technique for opening Lightning channels, and they've named it Swap in Potentium. And just to make the, the name typable, <laughs> the, the, the I'll, I'll give you an example use case to, to give you the idea behind what what they're proposing here. The use case would be, let's say I've bought some Bitcoins on Coinbase and I want to withdraw them to my wallet and potentially at some point in the future have the ability to spend those sats on Lightning. So the way that you do that now is you'd have two distinct operations going on. You'd have the, the withdrawal and then you would have the, the channel open some subsequently. And what this proposal allows differently is that you can actually withdraw from Coinbase in this example to an address that you have a key and then you would also include an LSP, let's say in this example, as the second signer. And then after a period of time, you could sign unilaterally after a timeout. And so what that does is when you put coins in that address, your LSP will now instantly give you the liquidity in the Lightning Network because they know that they have some sort of signing capabilities with that UTXO. And there's all sorts of advantages for mobile devices for this setup. There is some taproot support that needs to be rolled out to the community a bit more before this is possible. But I invite you to uh, read the, the Lightning Net dev post and check out the spaces from last week where you can hear these two go through in more technical detail the use case that I outlined. Thank you. And uh, if you're listening to this, uh, subscribe to Optech. It should be it should be something that costs you know ten grand a year in terms of signal, but it's free. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, pre Optech was very, very hard to keep tab as an industry member on technical subjects that you didn't want to get in depth or follow PRs or follow issues because, again, you're busy with your own implementation of things. Yeah, Optech is awesome. It's a great newsletter. I wish it had existed like five years earlier. Thank you for the kind words, guys. I would also say it has an RSS feed, which I really like because I use RSS. It's probably one of the last five people on the internet. I have it. I just don't open the RSS client anymore. I forget. I've gotten back in the habit. Maybe it comes back. Maybe Noster bring it back. Um, Noster does replace RSS. Uh, maybe you guys should should release it on Noster just uh, just for shits and giggles. It is it is a fantastic medium for that because there's no limit. Well, there's the JSON limit, but y- you can put your whole thing in there in Markdown. Oh, the whole thing. Oh, I was thinking of doing a summary like I do on Mastodon. No, no, you can put the you can you can do the whole thing. Uh, it's pretty cool. 
and uh, somebody can build a uh, client that just reads the long articles. Uh, it's coming. Uh, okay, I don't know how much more time you guys have. Uh, if you guys are into, we can uh, we can do a very quick glance on the on the news, and I can put sure. some stuff and read by myself later as a housekeeping thing. So, uh, MicroStrategy bought more Bitcoin. Mr. Chad, check out. Uh, uh, oh yeah, go on uh, BitcoinTreasures.net. It looks like uh, we are on green now for everybody that we do in aggregate is on green. Uh, number go up. The Fiji Pro Bitcoin Prime Minister ponders legal tenders bill. Everybody's going to want your Bitcoin. LQWD FinTech releases version two of its Bitcoin Lightning Network platform. I don't know what that is, but I will check out later. I don't know either. Yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff going on. I lose track of this stuff. Okay, Orange Peel app, out of Lightning Payments. That's kind of cool. Somebody, I think it was a, a prince who did uh, essentially a app to Orange Peel people and sort of creates networks and stuff. So you can meet a Bitcoiner and get, uh, and, and, and get the evangelization done even more efficiently. Pleeb Lab launched Pleeb Dev, a course about building a Lightning app using HTML, CSS, and all that stuff. Is it Pleb or Pleeb? I call it Pleeb. Okay. They call I, it Pleb, uh, I think. I guess the, the Latin pronunciation I used was learned was Pleb. I kind of hate that they picked that word. The Pleb word history there is terrible for this, so it's a shame. But uh, I understand the sentiment, and I, you know, I get it. They're trying to say that it's like stay humble, but that's not where this word comes from. They're organizing a course to build a Lightning app using uh, all of uh, NVK's favorite components, including JavaScript. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. It's a good way to learn. It really is. I mean, like you can't learn trying to build this stuff with C or with C or even Python. It would be much harder than this. Maybe with Rust and a REPL. I don't know how how hard that would be to to use the LDK and then with a REPL and then open but, a channel or something like that. But you know, it's just that like the amount of people that can help you out there with JavaScript is so big, mm -hmm. right? Like the amount of guides and things. Listen. You know, I don't want to shit on JavaScript, but like, it's just that like, it is a great way to learn. I mean, there's just so much out there. It's so much faster to bootstrap things that like, yep. you know, power to you. Uh, major Ukrainian pharmacy chain enables Bitcoin. Everybody wants their Bitcoin. Coinbase reaches 100 million users who are going to get a rug boot at some point. Oh, they reached 100 million settlement, not 100 million users. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, this was with the New York Department of Financial Services, right? Great. So everybody knows uh, how much you have and how much they are coming for. <laughs> you know, it's like as a Bitcoin company, what you want to tell the world is I don't know how many users I have and I don't know how much money they have and I don't know what they do with it. That would be the correct marketing for a Bitcoin company. Coinbase is the opposite answers for all of those. That's right. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Okay, hash rate index 2022 Bitcoin mining year in review. So I went to Nashville for the NEMS Energy, whatever. Like I can't remember the acronym for that. It's a Bitcoin park. They had a mining summit there. It was awesome. These guys went over all those numbers. Uh, so go Pastor Odell for information on a lot of the stuff that went down there. Uh, they will. They would have gone a lot of uh, through a lot of this uh, these numbers. I find the um, the mining pod, which was used to be the Compass podcast. I think it's still run by Compass, but they don't want to market themselves too much now. I guess. Right. But the podcast itself is very good. Like they talk oh, really some random mining topics every week. They talk to actual bigger miner operators, stuff like that. So very cool. I think it's worth listening to. 
Several Canadian provinces target Bitcoin miners and suspend uh, any new grid connections. Yeah, it's a bunch of crap. Canada became very, uh, very averse to mining because, you know, like they need to learn how to coal. Well, that's mostly Quebec has always been a problem, right? They, they have too much hydro and then they, they let some miners in and then they panic and they put a moratorium in it. That's- so Quebec became a commie shithole because all the interesting people left or are leaving. And, uh, you know, like they have like language laws, they have weird customer consumer protection. Essentially, they set themselves up for having no businesses interested in being Quebec. They for people like that the don't know. Of, of the Americas, but they're not yeah. Before Quebec went into separate, before when Quebec was lo- talking about separation, that's when like Toronto became the capital of the country of all the businesses. That's like just before that, all the businesses left Quebec. And, uh, and it's only getting worse. Uh, very few businesses want to open in Quebec. So have fun staying poor. I think the biggest surprise was Manitoba, right? Because it was more... But I think there was just they had too much. At this, they just want to yep. take easy. But is it... Sometimes they present it as an environmental thing and sometimes they just present it as a yep. capacity thing. Well, it's politicized, right? So it's hopeless. Well, because the capacity thing is not necessarily political, right? You can just say, hey, there's like 20% more load on our grid. Let's... See if oh no, power not. companies love base load. Oh my God, base load that can be turned off when they get a phone call. It's exactly what all the power companies want. All they want is predictability, right? Yeah, I know. But maybe they want to gradually phase that in. I mean, you know, comp- power grids probably want to carefully see if a, if a 10 gigawatt change to the network is working or not. I think you're just giving them too many benefit, credit, like too, too many benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not familiar with with Manitoba politics, so I have no opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 all because of the climate stuff. Okay, so ninety one percent of cryptos from twenty fourteen have died. Oh, somebody's updated that chart or not? Because there used to be a really nice chart back in yeah. twenty fourteen where you could see the market cap. Yes, of the DAFs. Bitcoin, yeah, going down. And if you plot it for long enough, you just like from year of starting, you see them all yes. dying within a few years. Every single, like it really is like a Grisham's law chart, right? Like everything else, like versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies, right? But this one doesn't have that chart on it, this page. No, it's unfortunate. When there's a new bull market, I always need to show this to people because they're always like, oh, this new coin is going to be it. Right. Like. Look, exactly. For any new coin, this is what historically has happened. They they pump and they die. I really hope somebody bring it back. It's super valuable for newbies because, oh, look, this one's been going up. Well, you just show them the screenshot of coin market cap in the Wayback yep. Machine from you know 20, 2013 or whatever, and it, it really shuts people up about that nonsense. I mean, maybe Ethereum and Dogecoin have, have some you know <laughs> longevity now. But I missed the good shit coins, which was essentially just a website you go and you make a, a Bitcoin Core alt by changing some parameters. Uh, that that was like some quality lazy shitcoiny. Nowadays they don't even make a blockchain; they just call the blockchain and publish a white paper. It's much easier. That's right. And then it's a there is a dude running on Excel. El Salvador legislature approves landmark digital securities bill, paving the way for Bitcoin bonds. I guess that's the Volcano bonds. It's a very roundabout way. Of saying Bukele did X. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyways, I don't know how I feel about the bond. Samsung Bitcoin ETF launches uh, in Hong Kong. That's pretty cool. Uh, Spot ETF, decent sponsor. You know, Hong Kong is kind of a big market. Uh, although no, n- nobody really sends money there anymore after China. 
did its bit. Why is Samsung? Oh, Samsung Mao, not Samsung the company. I'm assuming. No, Samsung the, the, Samsung. the company. Yeah, yeah, the company. Why is Samsung the company launching ETFs? Probably like Samsung Securities, or I don't know. I, I I'm not super familiar with this story. Uh, one of America's largest hemp processors makes entry into the sustainable Bitcoin mining. Okay, so I guess this company became a bit of an energy company, and now they are affinity scamming. Uh, Bitcoin, <laughs> uh, with a little bit of mining. Great. Bitcoin mining is uh, proving to be a life of lifelines uh, for Africa's oldest national park. I read the story. But these apparently are like mini hydro plants, right? Or mini That's like right. 500 kilowatt hydro plants. So That's right. Small. But the article on MIT really triggered me because they kept on tying to like affinity scam crypto into Bitcoin. Like it's a 100% Bitcoin story. Like it has like zero crypto to it. But they kept on trying to stick the word crypto there somewhere. Like MIT cannot help itself but the shitcoin. Well, they're sponsoring at least a few Bitcoin devs, so that's good. There you go. Uh, I, I didn't even, like, I remember way, way back then when MIT was just Bitcoin. Uh, there was like a very cool little MIT summit there for Bitcoin and stuff. But uh, yeah. Okay, guys. I think we've reached the. You have another section called events. But the, uh, yeah, the, yeah, Naples, the events. Not the actual Naples. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> so we actually have like a proper page now for events uh, you, in a domain for it. So I think it's like bitcoinevents.org that throws you into the events page of this site. The list just became too big to say it out loud on the pod. So go check it out. There is a million Bitcoin events happening this year. Yeah, find find a few and go. Go meet Bitcoiners in person. What's the URL? Bitcoinevents.org. Events.org. Okay. You still need some SEO work there. <laughs> it's fairly new, I guess. As in, if you Google Bitcoin events, you get different sites. Oh, no, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. This is great. Uh, Advancing Bitcoin is, I guess, the next one in Europe. I'd like to see more Europe-based events because I don't like getting on a plane, crossing the ocean, talking to immigration officials, right. spending too much money on hotels. For me, it's the opposite. I want like I want like North American events in the winter. It's a very specific. Why would you want to be in North America in the winter? It's like the worst possible time. Because I want summer to be with the family. So like, I don't want to go to Bitcoin events during the summer. Yeah, I'd be fine with having some Bitcoin events in, say, Iceland or something. Maybe that's a nice in the middle or Greenland. Yeah, uh, Azores. There is one in Azores. That's a quick ride for everybody. It's not. It's pretty far. It actually takes me longer to get that into New York. Really? I, I think Greenland would be a good compromise. It's right in the middle. Oh, we can just have a floating platform. We can get Elon to like land one of his uh, landers. And uh, that's it. We just have a big party on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic. I am not getting into a rocket built by Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, guys, I think uh, I think you can uh, end this up. So yeah, guys, uh, listen, I really appreciate uh, if you guys have any final thoughts. Uh, sure. Uh, no, thanks for listening. Thank you, sir. Thanks for coming. Mike? Well, I wanted to say thanks for putting this together. I think it's a valuable source for the community of news. And thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. Uh, Evan? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't yet, go check out Zeus. Awesome, guys. Listen, I'll have you guys uh, up again. And uh, Mike and Evan, thank you so much for coming. 
Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, cheers all. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the pod, make sure to listen to some very cool other episodes. Episode 15 about lightning, episode 11 about podcasting 2.0 and value for value. And we also had a hardware wallet security panel on episode 5. Don't forget to follow at Bitcoin Review HQ or get in touch on Telegram, Bitcoin Review Pod, or Bitcoin Review at CoinKite.com. We don't have a crystal ball, so let us know about your projects. Leave your boostagram on this episode and we'll try to read it on the next episode. We've added more people to the splits. Now, if you send us streaming sets, some of that go to opensets.org and also to Citadel Dispatch with my guest, Odell. If you don't know much about Value for Value or Bitcoin Podcast 2.0, go to bitcoin.review slash v4v. Mm-hmm.